to the next podcast. Who's next? Who's next? That was beautiful. In this podcast. Not a lot of massive notes, but a few things. A few things that we can talk about, sir. As All right. This is Who's Next podcast. We are recording, and this is the last one. Y'all will hear for quite some time. Because we're taking December off. So, we'll yep, last back. one of the year. Yep, we'll be kicking back up around January. And, um, yeah, kind of doing it that way. So, anyway, um, by the by, as we do, uh, that we're not doing a losing lives. So, that's on top uh, today. We're really going to do a big God of War discussion. So, this will be big spoilers for God of War. Uh, I have a news article that goes into that, and then, um, but first we'll start with a few things. Um, was there something that you wanted to bring to the table about anything that's been going on lately? Uh, not really. Like I said, the only thing I always thought maybe we could talk about was a little bit about the uh, video game awards. Since they're going to be on the eighth, and uh, we're probably not going to be recording then, so I thought maybe we could just kind of talk about our predictions and what we think of some of the nominees and stuff. Yeah, I think, um, well, so so which ones do you want to kind of, I guess, speak on? Uh, for instance, like, I know Game of the Year, I feel like, is the easiest one and probably the most relevant one. I don't know if we'll go in the weeds with many of the others, but uh, I would say Game of the Year, it's going to come down to Elden Ring and God of War, right? Yeah, uh, freaking Game of the Year, the nominees are, just if anybody doesn't know, it's uh, A Plague Tale, Requiem, Elden Ring, God of War, Ragnarok, Horizon Forbidden West, Stray, and Xenoblade, Xenoblade Chronicles 3. So yeah, I really, I think it's probably going to end up coming down between God of War and Elden Ring. And for me personally, it's Elden Ring. Yeah. I think God of War is going to take it. Um, Because of how well it's been reviewed, and I think it fits... The thing that Elden Ring has holding it back is that there is a bigger barrier to entry for people who are just not as good at, not very good at games or like uh, are more casual, I guess. Um, it, it, I mean, well, to be fair, Elden Ring did open up to allow, you know, people who maybe Dark Souls can be a little more unforgiving, Bloodborne especially, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, Elden Ring definitely had more tools in the game to make it easier to get through. However, I do think that the story of Elden Ring gets lost on a lot of people. I mean, to be honest, you, you, Elden Ring... You, that's, that's funny because uh, Elden Ring's actually up for best narrative. Yeah, and I don't think... If it's going against God of War, I, I would be surprised if it gets it. Um, I mean, again, maybe. Because it really depends on how the critics really take to it and because uh, I'm assuming is this a critic voted thing or is this a fan voted thing that's the other question no it goes by user votes you can so you can go to the game awards website you can sign in and you can vote mm. that's how that's how it's pretty much decided I'm gonna do a very unscientific study right now um, 
So give me a second and let us uh, do science badly. Okay? Very badly. So, Elden Ring. Let's see. Okay. Mm. I'm curious to see this. Elden Ring has 1.6 million people on its Reddit. Interesting. That is way more than I expected. <laughs> <laughs> Elden Ring is very mainstream, man. Elden Ring, it, it was huge. Like, I think a lot of people jumped on uh, the Souls train with the this first game, God of War. And these are just the main. So, like, the yeah. first Reddit like um, pages that come up, which are typically the most popular. God of War has less than 300,000 members. And God of War Ragnarok has 250,000 members. So Elden Ring definitely pales in comparison as far as like how many people are in the Reddit group. So maybe I take it back. But I, I really, the thing I think though is that I think, I think for sure if you dig into Elden Ring, there's a great story there. I just don't think many casual players and stuff. But again, like, and I, I'm sorry, I, I spaced on. When I asked you, is this voted on critics or or users? This is a critics voted thing. I'm not mistaken on that, right? Because I remember hearing that, like, in previous ones, that they would have a slew of people in the industry kind of vote on these things. And I think there's a few of them that they give to the people, but like most of it is done by critics. Right. No, you no, you can log into the the Game Awards, thegameawards.com, and you can yeah, sign okay. in, and you can vote on every every category in there. And I think they take critic reviews and like opinions into into uh, consideration, and they take uh you know all the user votes and everything into consideration, and they pick their their winner. If it's if it's people voting, like you saying, if that's how it is, then um, I think Elden Ring gets it. I take it back. Um. Narrative, though, I would maybe give more to God of War. I don't know. I think some of the critics are being much more forgiving of uh, Elden Ring's, like, um, much more environmental storytelling way of storytelling, very indirect way of storytelling, because it's a good way to get people involved and, like, build a community around it, right? That's why that Reddit page is so big, like, getting people to investigate the lore of your game and speculate and just kind of uncover everything whereas god of wars you know gives you a very direct narrative but then that's the same thing we've always gotten and it competes with everything else that gives you a direct narrative you know tv shows movies books you know and every other video game but god of war is something unique and i mean uh, elden ring has something unique you know all the souls games have a unique way of storytelling and i think it's really kind of caught a lot of people's attention okay uh let me see game award 2022 um categories that's what i want to see yeah go to just go to 2022 nominees and it shows all the categories and uh we can kind of pick through ones okay so they're gonna do on okay so performance i'm gonna say god of war takes that because to be fair there there aren't really performances like they are in god of war and elden ring like straight up okay there there just isn't so it is not there's no discussion there like the the level of acting and moments where you get to see Kratos and like uh, Atreus and stuff react to things and the emotional beats and stuff they just they don't have that in Elden Ring 
period. Um, well, yeah, well, yeah. Elden yes. Ring's not up for the. Up for that, and I don't think it all. is either. If I, I'm yeah. not seeing what games are up for it, I'm just looking at some of the categories here. Um, anticipated game for sure. Elden Ring. Elden Ring has been, and it's still listed there as most anticipated. But I don't know. It came out this year, so does that still go to it? You think? Because I, I, I'm looking at the photo, but it might be a stock photo they stuck in there. So, um, but Elden Ring's always won the anticipated game. I think it won it like two years in a row, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, because we've been waiting on it ever since the first preview, yeah. which was two years ago. Yeah, I think, I think, uh, I think you might be right. Game of the year goes to Elden Ring. Um, I, I think, I think, I, I think I would agree, especially if it's a player driven with some critic influence. I think Elden Ring gets it for sure, as far as game of the year. Um, multiplayer so game, I think, also probably goes to to Elden Ring. Uh, performance, mm, I think a lot of people would be upset about that one, but I, I, I would like, I would love to see mo- uh, multiplayer know. game. I don't know, maybe. Uh, you know what? I'm not giving a fair shake to other like big multiplayer games, but I've also heard circles that this has kind of been talked about as being a really good multiplayer game. So, well, I, the okay, uh, the. The, the nominees in the multiplayer category are Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, Multiverses, Overwatch 2, Splatoon 3, and uh, the new Turtles game. Uh, so it's not even in there. Okay, interesting. Yeah. yeah. I just pulled it up, too. I see what you're saying. Okay, so never mind. Okay. So that's the winners and nom- uh, winner, uh, the nominees. Mm. Out of that, I would probably... I feel like Call of Duty's had its time in the sun. I don't know if it gets voted. I want to say I want to I want to try to say with Splatoon three because I know you probably never messed around in Splatoon, but I messed around on the first one. Yeah, I got around to playing the second, I, I third think, one. But I think any Nintendo game getting uh, a multiplayer game of the year can fuck off. Like mo- mo- Nintendo's multiplayer situation on the Switch is garbage, just on that level compared to like Sony and Xbox's. Um, integration of multiplayer and chat and all that you still have to use a chat app for net uh, for a nintendo switch right uh they just opened up like bluetooth support on uh for their um yeah they did i don't know a while back but i think you still got to use a chat app i don't think they have that integrated in to have in-game chats for their games I don't. I don't think so. Uh, yeah, but, uh, I, I yeah. say fuck off with that. Like, there's no way Splatoon should get that at all. Even if it plays <laughs> good online, even if it plays good online, the fact that just the online functionality of Nintendo Switch is garbage hurts that game, and it sucks. But I think that's the reality of the fact. I think Call of Duty and Multiverses takes that one, and I tend okay. to side with Call of Duty because I do think it's a bigger franchise. But out of the list, I see. Or maybe Overwatch. You just say Overwatch, right? That didn't pop up on my list when I clicked it, but you said Overwatch 2, right? Yeah, Overwatch 2 is it. That, that could definitely get it, too. I, I still probably say it, it might go to Call of Duty. Um, Let's see. I'm not going to do all of them, but I'll click a couple of them here. Um, I'll stay to the top. Best role-playing game. Oh, uh that's the that's Elden Ring, Live Alive, Pokemon Legends, RCS Triangle Strategy, and Xenoblade Chronicles Three. I know you're not a big role playing game guy. Mm. I still gotta play Triangle Strategy. I've been I've been waiting on that, but I really think that uh, this category is probably gonna come down to Elden Ring and maybe Xenoblade Chronicles Three. If I had to take a guess. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think best performance is going straight up to um. 
It needs to go to Christopher Judge. For Judge. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, that, that has to happen for best performance. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm bouncing around. I'm just looking at some of the stuff here. So we got yeah. best performance. We did uh, multiplayer game. Let's see what the best. most anticipated games are. Let's see what they got Best here. indie game. Best mm. indie game? Yeah, Cult of the Lamb, Neon White, Sifu, Stray, and Tunic. Mm. You've only played you played Tunic and you played Sifu. That's Seafood the only two out there. I, I, I'd go Sifu if it was just me, but I, I can't really compare it to the other games, so I don't know. Yeah. Oh, this is a fun uh, one. What do you think the most anticipated game is? You've got The Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom, Resident Evil 4, Starfield, Hogwarts Legacy, and Final Fantasy 16. Oh, Zelda, easily. Yeah, I was going to say easily. Zelda. I was going to say Zelda. Yeah, yeah I, I definitely think it's going to be Zelda. Yeah, I would agree with you 100% on that. That's definite. Um, Best fighting game. Uh, let's see. Best fighting. They always get shafted. They never really get a big look. Sifu's on fighting game? <sighs> Fuck off. Fuck <laughs> off. <sighs> It'll probably be multiverses. If if Sifu gets it, they can go completely fuck off with that. Let me see. They, this is not giving me all of them, though. Let me make sure. DNF Duel, I feel like, would get that if it just was better with the updates and stuff. I think that's going to get shafted because it hasn't really been good at keeping up with everything. Um, right. Multiverses, then, I've heard, has been doing pretty good on that front. I've heard people pretty surprised and pretty happy with it. Uh, I haven't really heard much, and I haven't really played King of Fighters 15. I, I mean, that can make it too. It'd be interesting to see what Jesse had to say on that. Um and JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, I haven't heard much of anything. I, I really think Multiverses takes it. Or King of Fighters. If Sifu gets it, they can fuck off, man. That's I mean, I guess it's technically a fighting game, but that's like a like um it's like putting It's a beat 'em up. It's yeah. a beat 'em up. But it's it's these are like fighting games, like head to head combat. It's even what it says there. You can't do that in Sifu. You don't fight other people in Sifu, like live people. So yeah, they can fuck right. off with Sifu as a fighting game. They always do that <laughs> shit. I was, I was so surprised to see that in there. Yeah, oh, uh, best just... action game. You got uh, Bayonetta three in here, and then okay. Call of Duty, uh, Modern Warfare two, okay. Neon White, Sifu, and then uh, Tur Turtle Shredder's Revenge. I like that Turtles is at least getting nominated nods, but it shouldn't win any of it. Um. Especially if it's compared to things like Bayonetta and Call of Duty and stuff. I just, I don't think Turtles wins anything. Do you think all this controversy with Bayonetta, that the voice actors tried to start, is going to affect it? No, winning no this? I don't think so. I don't think anybody really gives a shit. I really don't think anybody gives a shit. I don't think anybody yeah. didn't buy the game over her nonsense or did buy the game because of her nonsense or whatever. Like, I, I really think that it, it got decent reviews when it came out. Uh, and high praise, so it's it's up there. I just don't know if it beats out a Call of Duty or not. It's cur you know, I'd be curious to see because Sony's been making a big deal how big of a franchise Call of Duty is, and Microsoft buying it, and it's you know they're gonna take everything. But I don't know. I, I'm I'm curious to see how Call of Duty st stack up in these rankings when it comes out. Um, 
I just don't play Call of Duties. It's hard for me to lean like, hey, you know what? This Call of Duty was really good this year. Like, I don't, I don't. Yeah, really me neither. I've I've never gotten into any a single one of them. Here we go. Let's do um, uh, best role playing game, Elden Ring. That's probably gonna be it. I don't think I need to go through the rest. Uh, Pokemon Legends, Triangle Strategy, Live a Live or Live a Live. Yeah, Live Alive. Live you Alive. Said it right. Okay. Uh, Xenoblade Chronicles Three. Yeah, I was just talking about that one. I said I really think this one is gonna end up coming down between um, Xenoblade Chronicles Three and Elden Ring. I because. Really, Legends Arceus, people were really wanting to get into the game, but I heard that so many people shitting on the way that game looked. Mm. And, um, like they said, it had, um, like interesting mechanics and stuff in it, but like nobody was talking about it like a week after launch. So, and then Triangle Strategy, there was a lot of hype behind this game, but I haven't really looked at any of the reviews or any of the responses since it came out. So I'm not really sure about it. But there was a lot of hype behind this game, and it looks really good. I want to get it. But the two juggernauts in this category, I really think, are Xenoblade Chronicles 3 and Elden Ring. Yeah, uh, it's got to be between two, two, two those two. This is a gamer needs food badly. Uh, I'm not a gamer needs food. I'm sorry. I said the wrong. God damn, why is that on my head? You know why? Because I see the Sonic thing, and I think about gamer needs food badly a bit when I see Sonic. Um, no, I'm sorry. This is a losing lives question here. Uh, best adaption. Best adaption. Arcane League of Legends, Cyberpunk Edge Runners, The Cuphead Show, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, and Uncharted. Right off the oh. bat, Uncharted doesn't get it. Um yeah. but dude, the other the other ones, they're all solid. Like Sonic. The I Hedgehog, have not watched Arcane because I'm not a big league person, but I've heard I've everybody heard great rave things it. about it. Yes. Yeah. I, I've heard people I know people who don't even play games that watched Arcane and like that show is dope as shit. Like that's what I've heard. Yeah. So yeah. Like, but I don't know how good of an adaption it is to the game. Like that. That's gonna be where. And I'm. I don't know if people will really look at it like this, or they'll just vote like, "Oh, this is what I like," you know. But if they go adaption wise, I would give it to Sonic the Hedgehog too. The I closest think, to the source material. Yes. Uh, Either that or Cuphead show. The Cuphead show does pretty good too about being close to its source material as well like cyberpunk i mean that's close too and it's a really good show but it's also was prequel shit that got added afterwards because it technically really wasn't like it was in the universe and all that stuff is like legit i guess as far as adaptions go um but i i, I yeah, just cyberpunk's really hard to judge how close it is to source material like if you want to judge it to the game like yeah, yeah. the game it's not really uh, it's like prequel shit to the game, like you were saying. It's but unfair like if you're comparing... to call it like an adaption in some instances, too, because it's actually a prequel to the game. It's not an adaption of the game. Yeah, um, it, you know, because, I mean, the whole thing is set in a tabletop universe, you know, kind of like yeah. you, you can make you can make multiple different types of stories out of it and kind of tie them all into the game if you wanted to, because they yeah. all take place in the same universe. Yeah, one hundred percent. So I mean, it's it's a weird one. I mean, I I think Arcane's gonna win it because I just heard so much love for that and people blown away about how good it looks and all this kind of stuff that I I've, I if I had to guess, I would say Arcane would win it. I would probably give it to um, Sonic the Hedgehog too, just on the merits of what I consider an adaption of the material. Yeah, yeah, and, something closest to 
the source material good yeah. uh the best adaption of the source material yeah i would say sonic the hedgehog 2 as well my personal favorite out of this category is obviously cyberpunk just because it's, yeah it's, i mean it's fantastic I, but i agree i i do agree i do agree with you though i think arcane's gonna take it yeah and mm. yeah, i have i'm gonna watch arcane in fact that probably will be a losing lives we do at some point but um all right uh don't give a fuck about mobile game uh oh okay here we could do art uh art direction uh, okay yeah let's see what's a uh, art direction yeah. there we go oh, best art direction for this all right elden ring god of war ragnarok scorn that's interesting hmm. uh stray in horizon forbidden west um uh, like we're talking just purely art design um I would say probably the two that stood out to me out of all these all of these um games on here are Scorn and Elden Ring. Elden Ring has beautiful art design in this world, and Scorn is just so unique and and just strange and striking and everything. They stand those two stand out the most to me. Whereas both God of War looks amazing. God of War looks amazing, but it still just kind of looks like a regular world. Same thing with Horizon forbidden west there's some mm. interesting art ideas with like all the mechanical like dinosaur monsters and shit mm. like that but it's still just like uh open plains and jungles and shit shit yeah. you would normally see on I, like uh, i think elden ring takes this yeah i think elden ring is gonna win almost every category it's in because it was so anticipated and it delivered on so many levels so it did i, yeah. I, I kind of feel like elden ring is gonna take so much of this that you know it's it's I, I'm gonna side with Elden Ring on a lot of it. Um, okay, art direction score. I bet you that's gonna go to Elden Ring as well. Um, yep, probably so. Yeah, because wow, Metal Hellsinger is uh in this category for best score. Yeah, I saw that I got like nominated. That. Yeah, it it might it I, it might have a chance, but I, I kind of feel like Elden Ring's gonna take it. I don't think that gets a win. I don't think enough people play that game to really be able to vote on it and shit. Like, if it's going to be people voting. So, yeah. No. I think Elden Ring gets that. Yeah, I think so, too. The score in Elden Ring is, is really good. Yeah. Um, Best audio design? Let's see. Of course. Okay. There's some racing games and stuff in there, I know. Horizon, yeah. This is a lot of Call of Duty, Elden Ring, and like God of War and Horizon is in like a lot of the big main categories. I think audio design might go to go uh, Call of Duty, actually. I always yeah. hear how good, like just the way they have the audio design for everything. It's won a number of times that I've remembered. Um, I kind of don't think Elden Ring wins that one. and I don't, I don't know if it should. The music is great. The design of the audio, though, I don't know if that's a standout-ish. That might even be something. That might even be something God of War gets, but I actually I don't even think that either. And I can't speak on Horizon Forbidden West. I haven't. I haven't really played those games, the Horizon games, and nor Gran Turismo. So, um, but I get the feeling that it might be a Call of Duty. You never know. It might be a landslide Elden Ring. I do get the feeling Elden Ring is going to pull a lot of these categories. Not just because yeah, I'm a fan. It's just 
It was the most anticipated game for two years. It delivered when it finally came out. Like it's 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 going to be hard to not go that route with a lot of this. Yeah, know? I mean, you said it yourself. The, the freaking subreddit had like what a million people yeah. shit in the community. Like, yeah. there's going to be a lot of people pulling for that fucking game. Yeah, there's 1.6 million uh, subscribers to Elden Ring subreddit, and like just as an example, God of War Ragnarok and God of War, both of those subreddits are not even half the subscribers of Elden Ring. So, anyway. Um, thought that was interesting. Uh, I have another thing here. We'll lead into the Elden Ring discussion here. So, I saw this shared in one of the podcast groups I'm in for. Um, it's a podcast that Jesse likes. He talks about it a good bit. And I've actually listened to him before he's even... I think before he even found out about it, to be honest. Because I've I've kind of always followed uh kind of funny and um colin moriarty and uh sacred symbols is his uh playstation podcast that he does it's one of the biggest playstation podcasts i think around uh, actually i think it is like the biggest and uh there's a facebook group i'm in which jesse's actually into shout out to jesse if y'all don't know it's nerds podcast you can check out our buddies at nerds i believe they'll be recording and putting out episodes through december so you can definitely go to them if uh if you're done with us or uh, you don't want to look at the backlog. Um, but they share something from Game Industry Biz. And it's the article is how much does From Software crunch? Current and former staff at the Elden Ring developer respond to claims of excessive overtime and low pay. So there's basically a report out kind of going in on this Japanese company saying like uh, the studio from software uh, actually um, made no response about anything about the work conditions and stuff. And actually um, don't, don't put like, don't allow their employees. They're not supposed to speak about it either. Uh, he has here. Yeah, one it's so a, it's a, it's a, yeah. It's a Japanese company. Like that's not the work. That's not the work. They, they, yeah. they have there. Game industry, I mean, like, yeah. I'm sorry, go it's ahead. Please. No, it's completely different there. Like not just in games, but in every industry. Like when you go when you work a job like that over there, it's not common for people it's I mean it's common for people to work freaking sixty hours in a week. Like it's just that's just the way they are over there. So like I feel like this is a very Western thing for them to be like, Oh, crunch now and they're trying to throw well, it. Well, part like of Japanese this surfaced studio. on Twitter. There were claims made. Uh let's see, the reviews were originally published on the glass door like jobs board career connections between twenty twelve and twenty nineteen. With this increasing prominence in the West, many latched onto the mention of crunch in the reviews of From Software. It prompted Twitter users to fall into tired stereotypes of Japan as a country of overwhelming overtime and exploitive work practices. So Game Industry Biz spoke to a number of FromSoft employees, past and present, to gain a better understanding of how the issues raised affect those working at the Elden Ring developer. The studio does not permit employees to give interviews, whether they still work at FromSoft or not. Yeah, because so, that's just bad manners. It's yeah. considered over there. Like, like you're not going to hear. It. It's the same reason Kojima doesn't talk shit about Konami. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. even though, you know. Yep. This, but the sources they did get remain anonymous. So this is kind of one of those take it at a grain of salt. Um, they uh, they approach from soft employees. Oh no, I'm sorry. They approach from software for comment, but receive no response. 
Uh, let's see. Former from Software Poor is a quote. During critical periods of game releases, I often had to work early mornings and overtime for two or three months. Um, they do have a thing here that one source was quick to refute the stereotypes of Japanese companies overworking their staff. The general quote, the general industry in Japan is not that crazy compared to my experience in other fields. Japan has a lot of holidays and there is a rule that from software staff shouldn't stay later than 10 p.m. And 90 yeah. percent of the time staff won't stay later than 9 p.m. Yeah, that matches up with what I've heard from people that I know that live in Japan, you know, and mm -hmm. I've talked to them, um, you know, um, that, the, you know, they work over there. Japan has a lot, does have a lot of holidays. They have good holiday pay. They have good freaking benefits and everything. And, and if you freaking need to take time off, like you can take time off. But yep. at the same time, you know, if you need, if you work and you stay and you work, you're not required mm -hmm. to do the overtime, but a lot of people do it. Yeah. They say this may not resemble the nine to five most companies use as a baseline, but from software in line with reforms of Japanese Labor Act, advertise its workday as lasting eight hours, citing flexible work hours with core time between 11 a.m. and 5 p.m. Multiple sources concede, however, that there is some level of crunching at from software. It appears to be variable by department, with one source telling us there hasn't been much overtime work for me. Another from a separate department said during critical periods of game releases, that was the quote I read earlier, where they worked early mornings over time, two or three months. Uh, this time period was echoed by another source who noted that while if it's not, it's not as if crunch happens on a daily basis, it's more common during the ROM checks. So uh, it sounds very debatable. I find it interesting that, but of course, everybody wants to click the article and I did too. Because I'm interested to see. Because my more concern was not about the employees and their work hours. Because to be honest, I take a lot of this stuff with a grain of salt. Like, I, my personal experience with work, you have people who complain and you have people who don't. And, like, there's not many jobs out there that are gravy, eight hours, you know, I mean, fuck, uh, when I used to work for a uh, chip company, Frito-Lay, I mean, their drivers, they might only work f six, seven hours a day. They're getting up, though, at like three in the morning, done around 11 to one o'clock. Sometimes they put in eight hours a day. And then a lot of times they're trying to ask the workers to work six days or seven days. And I have worked seven days a few times. Um, now, I'll say this. At the job I was at, I was never required to. So, and that's where it becomes the difference to me. If somebody wants to work 10, 12-hour days and they get extra money for it or whatever, I don't know what the fuss is about. Even if it hurts this person psychologically or whatever. I mean, that person's responsible for their own choices. I don't, if you want to make the extra money, it's there. Um, but if you're forcing people to work six, seven days, I think that's where it's a problem to me. Yeah. And that's where I would throw the red flag. But, you know, as it goes, well, this is a, this is a old subject. I just thought I'd bring it up because it's interesting that it's finally kind of this shit is finally because FromSoft has really not been too much in the fire as far as like a development company in a number of these like scandalous things like. For instance, I think, uh, what was it? 
before Elden Ring came out in that uh, winter time, like November, December was when Cyberpunk came out, and that was a clusterfuck of a release, right? Was it around that yeah. time period? Last year? I think it was. Yeah, it was, it was around 20. It was, was it last year or was it 2020 that Cyberpunk either came way, out? Either way. I want to say it was Cyberpunk. Either way. Yeah. I mean, that was a beloved studio that everybody loved, and then Cyberpunk yeah. came out and completely changed the narrative of that company for a while. Now they're starting to get their good graces back. But yeah. for a time, you know, people just fucking hated uh, CD Projekt Red for like the way that was released. And then there were stories of crunch stuff coming out and all that kind of stuff. It always comes out when it, it's the, to me it's such a common place of crunch or like it's I don't know. It's almost it's it almost seems like a necessity in some factor because uh, you, you're trying to meet timetables and you're dealing with creative people. The problem I've always found with working with, and I haven't worked too much with, I'd say, so maybe I'm wrong, but the thing I've noticed listening to podcasts and hearing different creative types speak, that you can't really come up with ideas or your creativity on the spot. You can't really like sit someone down and be like, create a masterpiece. A lot of times it takes time. It takes life events. Um, and then you might be halfway through a concept and then you realize something so much better and you have to redo some of it, which has yeah. happened in gaming. I mean, I've, you hear stories about that where they've gone so far with something and then either maybe the technology is not good enough to do this idea or they just want to change it because it's going to be way better this other way. Uh, whatever the case is, like, it's it's the process with creatives. So it's hard to tie them down to timetables. And when you do, well, what happens is, like, these creatives, whenever these ideas come, to try and meet the timetable, you're going to have to crunch the text. You're going to have to crunch the wizards, the people who are writing code, those people who have to make this new idea. And I'm going to highlight the show again because I think it's really good. And they actually kind of highlight this concept a bit is uh, Mythic Quest, a show on Apple, uh, Apple TV. Um, it's about gaming studios. And you have this chick who's like a real like good programmer type. Well, she doesn't really have much of a creative vision or like any type of like real creativity to the way that she views things with gaming or even her worldview. Where the other guy, who's the who's the guy from um, it's all who's Mac from Always Sunny in Philadelphia, him, he's like okay. the creative genius type, you know, it was almost like the Hideo Kojima in a sense, right? Yeah. This creative mastermind, but he's kind of a aloof, like r silly type of dude, the, you know, like that kind of that kind of thing. So um, it's interesting how they play that against each other, because I'd imagine that's a problem that happens in so many studios. It's hard to make those two things sync up creativity and logistics. You know? Yeah, because yeah, because those uh from all the stories i've heard of game development and everything that i follow in the industry the uh the art department and like the the design department like all of the the coders and everything like when like when they're trying to design a level or something they work closely together the artist is usually the one that kind of concepts everything first right this level is going to do like this this is how it's going to look because when you learn art like that you learn how you know 
basically how things should look like if, how light scatters and like how to do all this different shit to make things look the way that they should that our brains think they should and how things should flow and then it's up to the uh programmers to, to do it all and they constantly communicate back and forth with each other when they're designing shit because they have to make sure and check with the artists is like oh well this is right this, well, we can't do this we can't do that we need you to change this and they have to mess with each other and there's definitely a great back and forth between the two so if you got so when you got two teams you know your good art team and a good uh design team and they can mess with each other i think that's probably the best case yeah, it is. It's just it's uh, it's hard to get those two because they're very different personality types too. Yeah. So it's it's sometimes it's hard to get those two to kind of be on the same page. Because um, creative types can tend to be more free spirited, have like kind of yeah. different ideas at different times, and and kind of not be as focused to the task. Where people who are a little more logical in their approach to things, uh, maybe logical is not fair. It's not like creative types are like illogical or like you know dumb or something like that i don't mean it in that way it's just they're more analytical about their approach let's put it that way you know planned out type thing and so uh those two cannot always get along but you kind of need a mix of both of those to make anything from a movie to a game you know movies have yeah. some of the same issues in production sometimes too where you're filming things and it just doesn't fit right and you got to refilm do reshoots call people in and it's a whole ordeal so, I mean, look at Justice League. That happened to them with the mustache of uh, Superman there. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, yeah. a, it's, it could be a mess of things. So, yeah. But anyways, I just thought I'd bring that one up, especially since it is a big discussion now with Elden Ring being probably not only the most anticipated game for the last two years, but also probably the best game of this year, if not debatably of all time. So, uh, it's a very fantastic game. Um, thought that would be interesting to bring up because now it looks like FromSoft, and I feel like some of these. The reason why I bring it up too is I feel like once you see a story like that, you start seeing stories, people questioning their procedures of things. It's not long before more things start coming out of the box. That's and, usually a Western thing that happens with Western companies. You true. don't normally. I don't. I feel like. You don't see that with Japanese companies, right? Because the, the, the pre Nintendo's got a I fun mean, article that we're going to get into next. Yeah, like you do see it sometimes, like some of the biggest ones. But I feel like a lot of times the press that you see coming out of Japanese companies, mm -hmm. it's not like that. It's not this sensationalism type of thing where they kind of chase these freaking controversial stories. That is a very Western freaking thing. Like they, this it's Western true. idea. It's true, but I mean... But, but I mean, look what you're talking about here, though, man. I mean, okay, Japan may not produce these stories, but you have American American journalists and stuff, you know, wanting to put... Like, this, like to be honest, that story is a half-assed story. It's yeah. like the, the, the game industry biz story is literally like, we talk to people we can't tell you. There were people who may still work there or don't work there. Who knows? Who knows how stifled some of these people are. And then some of the people they're talking to are refuting what some of these reviews are and stuff and saying how good it is to work there while others are. So it's when you really look at the article and look at everything they talk about, it's it's almost just not a story. It's it's kind of like, well, what are you reporting about? You're right. reporting yeah. about a rumor. But it starts the rumor mill turning. 
And a lot of times, once you put that story out there, what it does is if there are more and more people out there who are feeling hurt, shunned, or like whatever about FromSoft, that like shines a beacon for them to be like, hey, this is my time to say something. Now, that's where your point comes into play. If most of these people are Japanese employees who have a different aspect, like different way of looking at work and looking at this thing, then it may not catch any light at all. But yeah. if there are people who feel like they want to share these stories and things and catch a little spotlight, then that's that's what the story is there for, because it is kind of a nonsense story. So uh, anyways, I just thought to bring that up. But speaking about, you know, bad things Japanese companies do, uh, Nintendo shuts down Smash World Tour organizers losing hundreds of thousands of dollars. You heard about this one? Uh, I think I briefly saw, I didn't read into it, but I think I saw it mentioned. I didn't actually look so into it. So there's these organizers, you know, Smash World Tour and Smash Bros is probably, you know, if you can, Jesse likes to argue about it not being considered a fighting game. I kind of understand his point, but the fact of the matter is most people consider it a fighting game, at least in most general circles or the mainstream circles. Um, so in the fighting game community, the Smash is pretty big. Nintendo is notorious for not really doing much with things like this. Um, but apparently this uh, Smash World Tour that's been going around is run by a third party. And um, they've been, you know, having some success with it. They've got some sponsors. In fact, they in 2023, the Smash World Tour had a plan of a prize pool of $350,000. Dollars, which is pretty high, man. That is yeah, pretty that's, substantial. That's a sizable pot, yeah. Yes, so um, they were doing good, and then the day, the night before Thanksgiving, without any warning, Nintendo's just like, "Y'all can't do it anymore." Sorry, and apparently they sold the licensing to another company to do tournaments and stuff that Nintendo's a little more hands-on with. Uh, I believe the name's called Panda. Is the name of this other Ah, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, and, typical, yeah, Nintendo, uh, yeah, they're, you, they usually do shit like that when it comes to, like, their IPs, it yep. makes sense. So, yep, Nintendo, uh, shafted those guys. There's some updates here, uh, they, there's some dispute to Nintendo's statement, uh, they say Nintendo spokesperson, and this was done by Kotaku, this is a story done by Kotaku, just to source it. Uh, Nintendo says, unfortunately, after continuous conversations with Smash World Tour and after giving the same deep consideration we apply to any potential partner, we are unable to come to an agreement with Smash World Tour for a full circuit in 2023. Nintendo did not request any changes to or cancellation of remaining events in 2022, including the 2022 championship event, considering the negative impact on the players who have already planning to participate. So then... Uh, SWT disputed this and have a follow-up statement. We did not expect to have to address this, but Nintendo's response via Kotaku has been brought to our attention. Quote, Unfortunately, after continuous conversations with Smash World Tour and after giving... Okay, that's the quote. It says, I'm sorry, excuse me. Uh, we are unsure why they are taking this angle, especially in light of the greater statement and all that it contains. Let me see. This reads weird. Give me a second. I misread this. Because uh, they are quoting what Nintendo said here. Um, 
because they issued a follow-up of their own. Uh, the reiterate from the official statement, they say, as a last-ditch effort, we asked if we can continue running championships in the tour next year without a license and shift our focus to working with them in 2024. We alluded to how the last year functioned in that capacity with a mutual understanding that we would not get shut down and focus on the future. We were told directly that those times were now over. This was the final nail in the coffin given our very particular relationship with Nintendo. This is when we realized it truly was all being shut down for real. Huh. Uh, hmm, interesting. So it, it sounds like basically they just wanted to do it without a license. And Nintendo was kind of cool with it until recently. And they were just yeah. like, no. But the problem that they're pointing out here from what I'm seeing is that they never really gave any indication that they were having a problem with them not having a license. And then all of I a mean, sudden, they might have not necessarily been them having a problem with them having the license. They yeah. just might have found the opportunity to sell their license to someone else. And then they just had to like, well, you can't do it no more. We gave the license actually to somebody else to do it. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, for them not to have done it without the license and just that kind of like fan thing, it's just you got to expect the rug to be pulled out from under you anytime something official happens. Yeah. I kind of feel like. Because that's, that's always been bound to happen. Nintendo does that. There was a Metroid 2 remake that was being made. Um, it was a f fucking fantastic remake. It was being made of uh, Metroid 2. Uh, what was it called? Not another Metroid remake or some shit like that. It was... I forget what it was called. But when uh, Nintendo released their remake of uh, Metroid 2, uh, they sent them a cease and desist about it. Because... Mm -hmm. And it had been being worked on for years. And Nintendo wasn't worried about it because they didn't have anything official going on. But yeah. the moment they started development on their own remake of Metroid 2, they sent them a cease and desist. Yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah, well, anyways, there's always some drama there with Nintendo and the way people, I guess, like to use their licenses and stuff like that. And Nintendo just doesn't... Nintendo does have a notorious kind of reputation for not being gamer friendly or like user like for pe for fans at least who want to you know do extra things yeah, with their they, uh, properties they even if it's not for financial gain they still yeah. kind of like they sued what was it that um that company or whatever site that was like uh putting out games that Nintendo's not even putting out just like different uh, ROMs or whatever to help play some of these old classic Nintendo games and got like two million dollars out of them or some shit like that and sued them even though it really wasn't uh, anything that big. like if you're not gonna do anything with it why the fuck are you you know shitting on people wanting to play these classic games you made so yeah I don't know Nintendo's always gonna have a, but it, but to be fair I think there is. There is a bit of a, like, I can kind of see Nintendo's point to some degree as well with some of it, too. Like, again, that group didn't apply for a license. And one of the statements in there is, like, you know, you also got to meet these health and safety boards. And they claim that they didn't meet those requirements either. If you're doing a tournament in Nintendo's, like, name, quote-unquote, even if it's unofficial, and some shit goes down, like, look at what happened with the Evo shit. Do you remember that? Mm, no, refresh my memory. Uh, it came out about all the like basically 
dudes were like fucking around with young girls or young boys and stuff like that. And it was a bunch of like kind of like underage sex shit happening at these things. Oh, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. That and it really blew up into and then Sony ended up buying Evo over all this. Yes. Stuff. Yeah. And that was back yeah. when Sony bought it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it's. It's definitely pretty touch and go on that, I would say, because like if you like it it seems like, oh man, we're just having fun with the game and you know, we're not mean anything by it, but like the problem is that your name gets kind of dragged into it um when you're using like their shit. You're using Mario, kids want to go see Mario, and next thing you know, you know, some kid gets fucking raped in a bathroom of a fucking event or some shit, and you get dragged into it. Your Nintendo event had a child molested. You know that that becomes the headline, and you don't want that as the headline as a company. You know because people are doing whatever they want, and like so, these licensed events and things like that, they do kind of matter on some level. So just making the point that I can see Nintendo's point at maybe just, you know, look, man, you're not applying for it. It was cool for a while, but we're ready to be more serious about this and we don't want to do it with you. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's definitely like, it, it, to get it could go both it. ways. It goes both ways. Like Nintendo could lighten up with some of their fan shit that they that, like uh, they don't need like some of these re- like you were saying like the ROM site or like that Metro remake. They could have let that happen. It wasn't directly competing with them. They're not selling that shit you know so yeah but like at the same time stuff like that like they do have a reason like the, the, if you're if you're using it and you don't have an official license or you're not like following safety regulations or whatever and they want to kind of pull the plug on it they they've got a right to protect your ip too yeah so i mean it kind of it does go both ways i feel like like Nintendo's got to learn to respect fair use, I think, a little bit more. Yeah. Because they use they love they love to send their lawyers out to try to muscle around it and everything because they know they got the money to throw at it. Yeah, I agree. That's true. Um, do you all right? So to change up again, something else, something a little uh different. You heard about what's going on with China. Oh, what's going on with China now? There's always something going on with China. Uh, okay, so um, it kind of exploded in a big way. Um, oh, let me get out of this. It kind of this is on CNN and stuff like that. It exploded in a really big way, um, uh, pretty recently when um, there was a place on fire, and due to COVID protocols, it's believed that the fire uh the firemen um couldn't react immediately and people died because of these covid protocols started off riots and stuff there's been issues with covid lockdowns and stuff like that with production facilities and as you know not to be political about the covid thing but the fact of the matter is china's where you get a lot of these things built a lot of the things like for gaming and whatever because we're in china you know what i mean so um there just might be more delays with shit. Like, well, for instance, the iPhone, they're already talking about basically get your iPhones now if you want it because... Uh, yeah, all knows. Apple's factories are in China. Yeah, in fact, they there's, love, there's they love using it. That... In, in these factories, iPhone factories in particular have been on the news because of these, like, uh, these huge 
COVID like restrictions that China's still putting down in comparison to what many other countries have laxed up on, China's still going ham about it. And to the point where the people are even starting to riot and revolt against the government, which is way out of line from what normally happens around there. Wow. So depending on how bad that gets, I mean, we've got so much problems with the supply chain. It's going to get worse. They're going to start moving some of these facilities out of China. I've already heard some companies are looking for other places. I think I think even I've heard Apple's looking to go to India for more manufacturing and stuff like that to get around the whole China thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, that makes sense. That might be because uh, I've been following GPU prices. I've been waiting for my uh, the thirty eighty to go down cheap enough to. Uh, to kind of um for me to to buy it because I was trying to see if there was going to be any Cyber Monday or Black Friday sales, but it didn't didn't seem like it happened. In fact, it went down to MSRP finally for like, and it was at MSRP for a while, which is like seven hundred dollars. Mm. And then on Black Friday, I was looking around on Black Friday to see if it had any sales and stuff, or like the, over the weekend too for like Cyber Monday, it actually went up to eight hundred and thirty dollars. And I was like, wow, why the fuck did the price go up instead of down? And I, it might be because of this shit that happened with China. I don't you said this happened just this week, huh? Uh in the past like couple weeks, actually. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. So maybe not then. But maybe I don't know, maybe so it might I don't know how long it takes for the it took for like any of this manufacturing stuff to catch up with the the, you know, supply and demand and all this shit. But it could it was surprising to me that the price actually went back up. So I actually ended up didn't getting, ended up not getting one. I'm looking to see if it, it might go back down to seven hundred dollars again. And if it does, I think I'm just gonna buy one in MSRP because I don't think I'm gonna get one cheaper than that. Okay, but yeah, this is just it's pretty recent that this stuff's been happening, but not like it hasn't it hasn't been that long. So, um. Within the last couple of weeks, I think that CNN article I pulled last week sometime and saved it because I just thought it's uh, it's it's fairly per- pertinent to us. Like, yeah, we're not doing global news or nothing, but when you're looking for your gaming stuff and whatever, there's a bunch of stuff going on in China that's causing the problems. And um, yeah, it's um, it'll be interesting to see how that works. So anyway. Um, I think that's about it that I have for for the news stuff. Is there anything um anything you're wanting to get else other than I know we talked about the game awards is what we first opened with. I think the last thing I got here is Game Informer. I have a bit on God of War that I thought was interesting, uh, and we could talk what we're gonna talk about today. God of War. You finished yeah, it. I-, I finished it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can go ahead and get into it, I think, because uh, we're probably going to be talking on God of War for like a good while. we probably got a lot to say on it. Yep. All right, so what I thought was interesting is God of War Ragnarok's director fought to keep its most unexpected and cartoonish character in. I'm pretty sure you know who that is. Mm. Unexpected and cartoonish character? Mm-hmm. Ooh. It's uh, it's the squirrel guy with the eye patch. Oh, rat, Ratatasker. Okay, Ratatasker. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I see what you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ratatasker uh, technically appeared in God of War 2018, of course, but he was more of like a summon that would pull up like items and stuff for you. Not a summon, what? Uh, but yeah, I guess you could say that. It's 
something you did. No, like no that's what it was. It yeah. was it was one of Atreus's runic summons. Yeah. 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 He's he's a very cutesy type of character in a way. Uh, when he he comes in, he jumps on top of Kratos and like rifles to his belongings and like leaps to Atreus and he, he's kind of a little playful and he talks with like a very proper type of accent, very different from everybody else, really. Um, they said they talked to the director, Eric Williams, and he wanted him to be, uh, let's see, uh, Reddit Tasker is odd and unexpected and that's exactly how the director wanted him to be. Quote, uh, this is a quote from the director of God of War Ragnarok. I wanted this character in the game. I wanted him to do these things, and everyone was like, we have to cut this. We have too many characters. And I was like, no, he's staying in the game, end quote. Loretta Tasker is among the many reasons Ragnarok is considered the funniest entry in the God of War franchise, which is also something of note that they've claimed that this game is like one of the funniest games in, in the God of War franchise, which I would say, yeah. I would I would say yeah, there are there are a lot of good jokes with Ratatasker, yeah. Yeah, not just Ratatasker, but just in general. Um Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see. He says that scene where he shows up, that was the one everybody was like, Okay, are we going too far? William says. Even the music director was like, I don't even know what to do with the music here. This is so far away from God of War. We don't even have music written that will help this along. <laughs> they had to go back <laughs> And piece some stuff together for it because it was so foreign to what God of War is. Uh, yeah. Williams wanted to make sure the person portraying Ratatasker would be able to deliver a comedic performance, and he knew exactly who he wanted early on. Sung it's Wong, Sung Sung Won yeah. Cho is a talented voice actor. Blah blah blah. He's done some games and animated TV show stuff. So um, he's actually done a lot of games and TV show stuff. Sung Won is a uh, he got his, He started it out on Vine, like way back when Vine was a thing, and he he all he was trying to be a voice actor. From this is from what I'm saying. He describes his uh, his career. He was trying to be a voice actor, and he started doing Vines to supplement his income, and he got big off of Vine, which kind of ended up helping his voice acting career. And since he's done like a lot of things, and he still makes shorts on YouTube, so he's got a big YouTube following too. Yeah. He's, a, he's a really good voice actor, and he does some good comedy skits. So he was he was a good pick for Ratatasker. I I just found it fascinating that like even like the music director and a lot of the other people were like, man, we don't know what the fuck to do with this. And the director was just kind of like, uh, he's staying in. Figure it out. Like we're gonna use this squirrel guy. He's gonna be a character in the game. So I just thought that was interesting. But. Yes, Ragnarok has fallen upon us. It has destroyed this podcast. And um, we're going to go ahead and talk. This is going to be spoilers for God of War Ragnarok, so you've been warned. Um, I will say, if you are that concerned and just want to know our thoughts before spoilers, uh, it's a fantastic game. People are giving it some 10 out of 10s, 9 out of 10s. Uh, I think I'm probably at a 9.5. Um Really? I felt yeah. like it was very good. Uh, I did feel like the ending kind of was a bit of a, I don't want to say, that's a little too rude. It was kind of a wet fart. Um, I, I didn't <laughs> think the ending landed as good as I was hoping uh, it would, but there are elements of that ending that were still really strong. And all throughout, I thought the story of the game was pretty strong. Um the gameplay felt mm -hmm. right at home. The new weapon that they give you was a great addition. And I would say that 
uh, mechanics wise, it was it was good. No, no real issues. I definitely enjoyed an increase in boss battles, like way more. And I was very thrilled by that. Uh, I thought that was very fun. It was more unique enemies and mini boss enemies and all that kind of stuff that was really great. Um, before spoilers, Kev, what would you say on it? No spoilers. Uh, I'm pro- I have a different take. And I think my take comes away from... Uh, I'd have to kind of go category to category for you to understand my take on it. But, like, yeah, the story is definitely, like, a 9.5. It's fucking fantastic. It's, it's great. Um, as far as, like, the a lot of the gameplay, yeah, the gameplay was really great. The new, like you said, the new weapon was really fun. I think it might even be my new favorite weapon that uh, I've had Kratos, that Kratos has used. Um the technical performance of the game uh and this is probably because i'm playing it on the ps4 pro i'm playing it on ps4 pro it's very different i have kind of a lot of bugs frame rate drops and shit like that so i'd have to give it like an eight maybe for like the technical performance on the pro i'd agree i ran into some technical problems i don't i never really noticed any frame rate drops for me but again i have the five however i did have issues on multiple occasions not a lot but at least three times i had to quit my game and restart it because i walked in uh and a boss was supposed to show up and his health bar popped and nobody showed up and then when i quit the game and clicked it back up there's the boss um there was another time where one of your helpers is supposed to stand on a on a uh platform and you're supposed to bring them up to another level i could hear them but wouldn't come out like it just it would nobody was there so yeah there was a lot there's a lot of problems it seems with things loading and popping in and shit yes i would go into the menu to like go to kratos equipment and multiple times he would like be doing the position like when he's holding his axe when you go in the first menu just the axe is not there and one time he was even holding his freaking blades of chaos like it was the axe and it was it was a hilarious but i was like what the fuck is this this is the triple a game i didn't have uh, any problems with the menu so that's that's interesting i didn't have any of those i don't i don't recall any issues with like something on the menu screen like that pausing it yeah i had to, the same thing with like uh when the game would first load up so like i'd die and i'd restart from checkpoint or whatever and the game would load up enemies would be invisible when the game would first come on and like the fight would immediately start i'd be in a boss fight boss would be invisible come and hit me because i can't see what the fuck he's doing and because it would have problems loading things like that or like my weapons would be invisible and that was something that i encountered a lot like i said if too much shit started going on on the screen i would get frame rate drops it was it was i would see it so, like I said, the technical performance in this game, I think they're de- they're patching it. They're trying to fix it. It's already rolled out a couple of patches. I, in the I PS4. think that is, the problem is that they keep trying to make these things playable on PlayStation Four, and they need to stop. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Like if they were they were trying to like make this thing uh, for the five, they should have just made it for the five, and that's it. Like yeah. I would I would have waited for it to come to PC or whatever to, to play it. But the fact that they made it for the four and it ran like that on the four is what kind of gets me. Like, if you're gonna put it on the four, like, do the is it cyberpunk level like. brokenness though? No, it's not that type of broken where okay. like things are just not functional. Yeah. But it is buggy enough that it kind of takes away from things. For sure, it, it, makes sense. 
But um, overall, I think I would give the game like uh, I'd have to say uh, probably a nine. I'd probably set it at like a nine uh, overall. Mm-hmm. It is really great. It's fantastic. It's probably it's one of the best games of the year, and it definitely mm-hmm. deserves to be up for game of the year. Okay. Well, here comes the spoiler talk now after this. So you got that. Now I will say, for me, I do find it. I don't. I never. I didn't have nearly the technical problems you did. Not even yeah. close. I literally it was only like maybe three times in my whole ex- gameplay experience where I was like something's wrong. Yeah, because so, you were playing it on the five. And yes. They, this is it's it's very obvious that they wanted to make this game for the five, and I think they should have just they should just do that. It should have been a PS Five exclusive. Yeah, but the the other argument to that would be would they have gotten five million copies in like their opening week or whatever two weeks whatever however long it right. was but there are exactly. like five million copies now it's the most that they've ever sold of that franchise i think of any playstation franchise it's like a sony own i think it's sold more in like it's opening time than any like um like uh first party uh game so um which is amazing and i don't know if it gets those numbers because they couldn't they couldn't get enough playstation fives out because of all types of COVID shit, production issues, and all that. And who knows? I'm not mistaken. Sony does do a lot of its production for parts and stuff. It gets it from China, right? Some of the, some aspects. Uh, I think so. I'm not sure who they contract. I believe they get some parts from China, especially probably some chips and stuff like that, which I think there was issues of chip shortages and stuff. And a lot of it was pointed to because of China productions. And, with the problems going around in China, if I'm accurate in that. Again, this is a podcast and I'm an idiot, so guess what? If it's not accurate, I'm just talking shit. Sorry. But my understanding is that. And with that's why I brought up the news article. Because with all these things happening in China right now behind COVID restrictions and people rioting and stuff like that, there might be another problem with PlayStation 5s hitting the shelves at some point. Who knows? Yeah. Um. Anyways. So, like, they kind of got to try and get these things for the four, at least the four pro. Yeah, so, but they should have, um, I think feel like they should have taken the time to really make it run well, though. If they, if they really wanted them to yeah, do that, yeah. if they make that decision, I mean, that's the responsibility you got to take. Yeah. Make it run well. The, the only problem I have with putting technical issues, unless it's like a, like a massive thing, it's it's a weird thing to try and rate technical issues because technically with time those go away. Like yeah, with time and enough patches, you can fix it. You yeah. can't really fix a bad story. You can't really fix bad gameplay with, yeah. with with patches, but you can fix technical difficulties, like minor nuance things. So that's why I don't typically add those into ratings. However, I did have a few stand out, which I now say. When I played the first God of War, I don't remember having any technical problems. Exactly. This, that's, why, that's the only reason I'm really trying to be, I'm being a little difficult about it. And I, because I, the first I, one yes. ran ran great. Yes. Yes. And that's fair. I mean, I just replayed the first one, actually. And well, again, they might have done some more updates when I played it later. But I played it when it first came out and played it after. And I don't remember any problems there. So, um, Okay. Uh, let's go ahead and do some spoiler stuff and all that. Um, so I'll say this. I did not care for the ending as much. I would say all the Kratos and Atreus stuff was fucking great. The father and son dynamics really hit. 
um, for me, that ending uh, where Kratos or Atreus, you wake up and you walk with Atreus through everybody, and then you run into Kratos, and Kratos sees him kind of like becoming that man and leaving off and everything was like fucking great. And then Kratos seeing that his path is to be a, a god that people actually worship was also very interesting and I thought very cool because they gave it a, a mention earlier on that you've never been a god who's been worshipped. You don't know what that love is like. That's actually not really true because when he became, in the beginning of God of War 2, when he he becomes the, uh, the god of war, he has like all of Sparta worshiping. They all follow him because Sparta like worships the. Um, yeah, the God I, I was saying I thought I remember that, but I, you know the argument there. I guess you could say is you don't know how how long that was and how long it is to be with this prediction, and also he didn't really do anything as magnificent to be. He just killed the God of War out of anger in the first game to the second game. In yeah. this one, he's actually a hero. He saved the realms. So he helped well, he save the oppression of these realms from Odin, right? Yeah. So um, to be fair, he did something more, I guess, quote unquote, godly, deserving of praise in a sense. So and I guess yeah. that's the other difference yeah, I, to highlight there. Um, but yeah, it's a good point. He I, And I do remember him being on some kind of throne in the opening of the second one and Zeus comes down and strips you of your powers. And then that's yeah. kind of the process. Sends you down to Hades, right? And you work your way through Hades. Yeah, that was one of the things he was mad about in that yes. game was the fact that he kills all the his Spartans, all the Spartans and shit that followed him. Yeah. And because um, when he takes your powers, the you're uh, attacking. Um, what is it? Rhodes? Yeah, it's Rhodes because I think it's that's Athena's island, and you're attacking Rhodes. And freaking Zeus comes down, he stabs you with the freaking Blade of Olympus, and then he takes the Blade of Olympus, and he just freaking, like, unleashes this big wave and kills all of the Spartan soldiers and shit that are attacking Rhodes. And freaking, of course, Kratos, you know, of course, swears vengeance. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I believe that the second one ends with him unleashing the Titans, and then the third one is basically him destroying Olympus. And that's what that all is. So... They're not a bad series of games, even the originals. Uh, but these definitely tell a much deeper, uh, you know, uh, mo- emotional story. The the uh, the one thing I say that's very standout is just the performances of everyone in this game. Yeah, like you we were, were starting talking- to see the uh, almost the illusion of a game in a movie. Like it's it's really blending. You're towing those lines between the two and some of the things that this game presents and. More of a way than you don't really see. The only things that have really touched it close to that is probably maybe like The Last of Us. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, yeah. Uh, in the episode where we were talking about uh, voice actors selling games, like it does a voice actor sell a game. Yeah. I brought up the idea of uh, Christopher Judge being in the first game that if they kept uh, T.C. Carlson, that's his guy's name. I was trying to remember his name in that episode, but his name's T.C. Carlson. If they kept him in the role of Kratos, that it had been the same. But after it's like what, seeing this game and like seeing all of like the production stuff and like how involved Christopher Judge actually was, because he did a lot of the the capture, like the acting capture of like Kratos's movements yes. and like mm-hmm. all the expressions and stuff, he actually brought a lot more than just his voice to this yeah. game. Yeah. So I think I would, I'd have to say that actually, yeah, this game probably would not be the same game without Christopher Judge. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting point. Uh, yeah, it's. 
it is going to be interesting to see how games like this evolve the industry as like but the problem is there's such a um a barrier to entry to that though like a triple a title like this these indie studios and stuff they can't they can't really do something like this you know what i mean like that's going to be very difficult to try and um uh, to try and do you know what i mean yeah i know what you mean like uh the the quality of like the the voice acting and just the all of the the mocap and the acting and stuff that they do it with this game you're going to need like a multi-million dollar budget to do something like this yeah and, and it's, so it's not going to be like you could do indie movies and have great performances to stand out. You can't really do that with games. So there's there's yeah. other things. So I don't know if it's going to catch completely, but it's definitely going to be interesting how it evolves things. Uh, Death Stranding's another one where the actors and stuff in there really bring to life the game uh, in a big way too. So um, I'll be curious to see how it goes moving forward as far as like you know how much can a voice actor or like an actor basically mocap actor sell a game i still don't think it sells the game and it didn't sell ragnarok 100 percent. but i can see where those those i think where those arguments lie right now for games is it's not going to sell the game but it's definitely going to give it the rating and if your argument is well then the ratings would help sell the game then maybe you have somewhat of an argument argument there but for the most part, people people are still coming to this stuff for the game, um, as it stands. But um, it, it was a very great performance, one hundred percent. Some of the best stuff. Like there was a scene where Kratos is just taking off his armor, and he's just sitting on his bed and just kind of sitting there. And I was like, "Fuck!" Like I'm kind of feeling this. Like, yeah, you could see how fucking exhausting Kratos is, all the shit that's happened to him in his life. And it's just this point that he just, I don't know, it's just, you see the whole weight of it all on his shoulders. He's taken off his armor and everything. And it's very, and not just that, too. Like, his son is gone. Yeah, his son is gone. And he's just like in this lost state. And yeah, it, it, it was just powerful just in that silence. And I thought, man, this is fucking. You just don't come across shit like this in games. Not like this. So, right. I, I really think this might be the best performance I've ever seen in a game. I think so too. I think it's even better than the performances we got in The Last of Us, which those were great as well. Yeah. Uh, but just the quality in this one, I think it's 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 even better because yeah. uh, Kratos and Atreus stuck out, but then like even like um. Freya, her her performance. I, I yeah. forget the actress's name, but her performance was fantastic in this yeah. game as well. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, I would agree with that one hundred percent. I mean, just and also her arc from starting the game, like starting the game about ready to like. In fact, if you don't do the button sequences right, right, she kills Kratos. She in the beginning of the game, she's about ready to kill Kratos. Yeah, and. At the end of the game, I think she's ready to have his baby. So it's literally, <laughs> it kind of feels that way. Yeah, I kind of was wondering if they were going to keep it more neutral. But I mean, like there was things where, like, she goes up to Atreus at the end. He's like, "I'm, I'm so proud to see the man you've become," and all this stuff. And then he like 
ask her, are you, will you work? Will you be with me to come do this? You know, do these last things and stuff. And I mean, technically, you can say it's ambiguous, but it definitely felt like there was more of a lean to have there. There definitely could, be. if the next game opens up with them two in bed together, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Because I, you can kind of see it there, but they didn't explicitly make that a thing. So it could just be that they're friends too, like platonic. Yeah, the, it, yeah, it might just be a deep friendship. Because I don't know. I mean, to say that um, she was sleep with him, he is he is still the guy that fucking killed her son, even though Balder was a fucking dick. In <laughs> but she's but, also kind of come around to seeing. Yeah his point of view, the error of those ways and all that kind of stuff. Like she really turns it around and, you know, in this. So I don't, I don't know. And then after what they've done for all of as for like, not just Asgard, for the people of Asgard, but the people of Midgard and everything and seeing what kind of person he is like at the end where he's like, let's save these people. Cause right. originally he would be the one to go kill and tear through all these people. So, um, but that's where I kind of have a problem with the ending. So, the ending, it just felt like by the numbers where everything else felt like such a great mystery of like, what is Odin really up to? And like, he, I mean, you kind of see it when the boy goes there and he's trying to put the mask together. But then there was that scene. There were some scenes in there where they're talking about invading Asgard and how they're going to go about doing it and stuff. And they're like, yeah, we'll get everybody. We'll just do a full scale attack, basically. And he's like, well, he left us. He knows we have Galahorn. He knows we have this. And spoilers, but again, we warned. Tear the whole time, which was a great twist, was Odin. Yeah. Hiding in there, being part of the group. Why the fuck would he not have taken that horn? Why the fuck would he have not like done a, a number of things to like prevent this all-out scale attack? He knew. He had another. And then Kratos even says, like, do not underestimate him. Do not underestimate him. So I thought there was going to be more tricks up his sleeve in this ending. And like, actually, I thought that he, there would be some like, I want Ragnarok to happen. You know, like it's actually, no, you, you play part of my plan. I wanted this to happen. I want the information in this and I'm done with Asgard and blah, 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 or something. I, I thought there was going to be some kind of twist because they, they even kind of set it up. But it was just, uh, no, you can't attack my house. This is terrible. And then we fight. And I was like, ah, well, all right. Like, it just didn't. It was a great spectacle. Like, climbing Asgard and seeing, like, the giant snake get called, the wolf buddy come out. All that shit was really cool. Yeah. But it just kind of was a spectacle without any substance i don't know what was your take on the ending uh i kind of get what you're saying like i agree with you a good bit of it because um i called a lot of the ending that was happening before it, like during the atreus parts when he's in asgard and they started trying to make thor uh look give him this kind of redemptive arc and yeah. they tried to make odin look a bit more sympathetic and shit uh uh, it did get very kind of predictable, like by the numbers, like you said, the ending. And then when the ending came, just kind of everything fell into place kind of the way you thought it would. 
Um, as far as like why, I don't know. You was asking like why didn't uh, Odin like take Gallarhorn or like do anything because he's like embedded in their group as tier. I think it might have been because this whole time he actually didn't give a shit maybe about uh, Ragnarok, at least not as much as he did about getting the answers that he wanted from that mask. Mm. He still needed, from what he said at the end of the game, he needed Atreus to wear that mask in order to, to, to look into that freaking like tear space in order to get all the answers. Yeah. The only way he was going to do that was with, is if he had, you know, Atreus's trust, I guess, because like, if he tried to like kidnap Atreus and force him to do it, like even if he forced him to look into it, like how's he going to force him to tell him what he saw or anything? Yeah. But so uh, I guess that would be like the only explanation of why. Cause like his whole goal was to try to get the, get Atreus to come to Asgard and look into that thing with the mask so he could get the answers that he wanted. And I guess and, that's the point they were trying to make too, is that he would willing to sacrifice everything, including letting Ragnarok come to get the answers. Yeah. Yes, because nah, I see that. Yeah, because even at the end, when after you beat him and Atreus is trying to convince him to change and kind of get him to redeem himself. And he's just like, no, I, I would be willing to sacrifice everything to get the answers of one. And I will always be willing to do that. And Atreus is like, well, why did you have to say that? Mm. And they kind of drive that point home. So I think yeah. that might be kind of what they were leaning into with. Okay. Um, That's fair with that that's a, that's a fair that's a fair assessment on that um so you beat it um did you do any like for instance uh part of niflheim opens up after the end of the game are you aware of this yes uh i went uh i beat the game um and i just got to the the ending where you like walk outside with freya and you're like oh you can go do all the side quest shit now mm. and i know that Muspelheim and like Niflheim and like all that shit opens up and you can go do all that other stuff. I haven't done anything in even well, that part. Niflheim in, uh, has an area yeah. that uh, there's a spoiler there. It's a moderate spoiler. Um, you'll probably you'll probably guess it as soon as you see what the area is. Do you want me to speak on this or do you want me to? It's not that big a deal, but it is kind of a spoiler thing. I'll avoid it mm. if you want me to. That's why I'm asking you. Uh, I mean, if it's not going to be that big of a deal, I already saw the ending of the game, and I'm okay. guessing maybe it might be about tier. Yes, it is. Because I was kind of wondering, I was wondering, like, well, where's the real tier this whole time? And I'm thinking that he might be alive. He, yes, he's in the prison. There's a prison ah. in Niflheim. And okay. Yes, that's what you'll discover. There's also, and uh, it's weird. I haven't found everything with Tear, I think, though, because you, you find him in there, and then, like, he says, I need to deal with stuff of my own. I'll let you play through to get to what it is. It's not that story pertinent. But then if you go travel the realms doing some of the stuff, like, I just ran into Tear again, and there was, like, another bit of dialogue between us about something. And then just by happenstance in Halfheim, I ran into... Uh, Thor's daughter and it's like oh I, that's I, cool I could have clearly missed this and she does something that I'll let you see um I'll okay. let you see that <coughs> but she's in Alfine so she's in Alfine by where the um um in between where the temple is and the barren lands are that in between okay. where there's the workshop okay 
like that Mystic Gate, you'll be close to where she's at, and you'll see something cool with her. Um, I'm about 100% done everything except for Vanaheim. So that's, yes, yeah, I'm I like got a hundred percent in Vanaheim. Yeah, I've got like ninety percent in just about every other place except for like the places that I needed to come well, back you to. Well, you can't, you can't hundred percent any most of those places because the yeah. um, the once you beat it, the um, there's a bunch of little mini fights to go do because Asgard fell into the number of the realms there's like these asgard as guardian soldiers yeah 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 i remember uh freya talking she said she commented about that that remnants yeah. of asgard kind of fell around the realms and she, yeah i mean that's one of the new side quests you have to go do yeah yeah also the tombstone fights too um you can't you can't do it until the end of the game you can do all the fights except for one in niflheim you can't yeah. do that one until this is not a spoiler Make sure you talk to Squirrel Buddy. He gives you seeds that open up gates that you couldn't get to, like mystic gateways that yeah. allow you to get to areas in different realms that, that aren't open until the end of the game so you get those seeds. So go back to Sindri's house, Sindri's house, and the, go talk to the Squirrel Guy. And then he gives yeah. you a bunch, of, a bunch of mystic gates open up that you can travel better. So... Make sure you do that because it took me a second to figure that out. Um, but there is some decent in-game stuff after. It almost feels like there's a little extra DLC stuff, kind of. Um, that's why I kind of think that, and it sounds like we're not getting any DLC. Just like the first one, they didn't do any DLC for God of War. I don't think they're going to do any DLC for this God of War either. Yeah, um, I, I don't think so. And I like that. I like that. Yeah, no, this is all the game. We got it all here. No need to keep tagging on bits. Right. So um, I do appreciate Yeah, you, it's that. rare you see that. You see that anymore. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, this is the whole thing. Yeah. No, I actually do appreciate that. that that's, that's the whole thing. They do it that way. That's really cool. Um, <clears throat> let's see. So the Tombstone fights are basically replicas of the, of the Valkyrie fights. Um, yes, from what I've done ten of twelve. Okay, so yeah, you're just missing. Ooh, you're missing two. I bet you I know which ones you're missing. You're. I'm you're, missing the Niflheim one and probably the king. I'm thinking. No, huh? no, no, no. You got to hit twelve before you fight the king. Ah, you're missing the okay. Niflheim one, and I think you're missing. There was another one that I had to really find. Um, did you fight somebody that if you constantly fight them up close, you just get filled with bite frost? Bifrost? Mm, no, I don't. Uh, no, that does not sound familiar. I don't. Think. Okay, so yeah, that's the other guy then. So you gotta fight him. Wait, no, that's the guy in Niflheim. Never mind. There's the, he's in Niflheim. And oh, which other one could you be missing? Uh, I bet you you might be missing. Did you, you think you're missing the one in Vanaheim that you gotta break open the dam and row your boat to that middle um, area where there's a tombstone? Which one? By the uh, crater. Oh yeah, I haven't done any crater stuff yet. Okay, so that's probably the other one you're missing. Still yeah. do. Okay. So um, okay, cool. The king, it is very much like the Valkyries. The king basically has the whole move sets of all the other tombstone guys you fought before. Yeah. Guys and gals, whatever. It is a solo one-on-one fight. It's it's fairly difficult. It's it took me a couple tries for sure. It took me a bit. 
But uh, yeah, I got it. It wasn't. It's it's not the worst. Um, have you finished your Musaheim Musaheim challenges? Yes, I finished all the Musaheim challenges. That uh, I nice. got Surtur's full set. I did fi- all fifteen challenges. Good, good. Um, okay, cool. The I thought the Musaheim challenges were. I felt like it was a better allotment of challenges because it was actually like there was that kind. They still did the kind of bullshit where, oh, you got to do two of this challenge and then you open up a main challenge and then two of those challenges and you open up a main challenge and you kind of got to keep doing that shit. That shit was kind of dumb to me. Um, But, you know, what? part of it is my fault. I went and did all like six of those main challenges and I think you could have just did two at a time and opened up all of them. So I did like all each each. There's four swords. The three surrounding swords have three challenges tied to each one. And you pick one of those three in different variations to unlock the middle sword, the center sword, the fourth sword. And that'll be like your main challenge kind of. So I guess maybe I could have done that a little better. I don't know. But um, what you got? Do you do this? The the. The first three swords, the they first they start off with only two because you got to unlock yes. the anointing chest that's in the middle. Yeah. So that's what I did did first. I did those first six because I had yeah, I to unlock the anointing chest. I did the that chest too. In the, yeah. Yeah, and then the middle sword uh, uh, opens up, and you can do the third challenge on the first three. Like the yeah. first three swords, they get an additional challenge, and you can do those. You can do that yeah. in different combinations, like you said, for the middle sword. So yeah. I don't think you did it wrong. I feel mm-hmm. I feel like I did it the same thing. Okay. I did something stupid doing. I fucking uh, I I fucking sh- nearly shitted myself. I fucking uh I nearly had uh I was trying to get the last combination that I needed in order to get the the challenges, and I accidentally did it backwards, and I had to repeat the challenge. Uh, oh, well, at least nice. I thought uh, at least I thought I was gonna have to. Yeah. But when you uh, I went back to the sword, it said reset combination. I was like, oh, thank God. I did oh, not want nice. to have to redo the challenge with the fucking moving circle. The, uh, oh, yeah. Mm. No, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I will say this. That was definitely much more like a pleasant way of unlocking all those challenges. In the original, you you climbed a whole mountain, and then there was like six different swords, and there was like three challenges to each of those swords. Then at the very top, you end up fighting a Valkyrie. And then you got to go back. And this is the thing. It's not like a quick run over. You've got to go back and do like, if I remember right, all six challenges to do like a main challenge. And you had to do that a number of times to like actually finish it completely. Yeah. It, it's, it was way more time consuming. And the challenges in the first game were way more difficult than these challenges these challenges were pretty easy in my opinion it, it I, I thought the first one was way not only was it harder but i also thought they were better structured like the 99 challenge in this game i thought was a little more lackluster than the 99 challenge in the first one and the first one they had a bit better design to it that was like interesting yeah, they tried to give you groups of enemies that worked interesting together, whereas in this one, they just threw one whole group of enemies. Like, oh, this yeah. whole group uses Bifrost. Yeah. This whole group uses Poison. Yep, 
Yep. And and that and that kind of that 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 was a little lackluster there. Uh, I did think the Musaheim challenges were a weak point in this game. Um, I do think though that the the Tombstone boss fights were better than the than the Valkyries. Cause yes, because the Valkyries were really pretty samey. Like they had some couple of different variations and moves, but for a large part they were pretty samey. Yeah. I mean, you can see some repetitiveness in these tombstone fights too, but I did like the, oh, wait, you're fighting two at a time. Oh, there's th- this guy is three. and like Yeah, and like two of them are magic casters, and this guy freaking, this is a dude that punches. For, yeah. And like, like, it was different. Yes, I agree. I thought all that stuff was pretty good. I do think that it ended up being better than what the Valkyries were. Um so I, that was a pretty high point. And then there's just a lot of different little... I liked finding the Travelers, and there's a couple of Traveler fights. There's a couple of Troll fights. Um, from, like, the first game they brought over to this game, but they didn't, like... They weren't, like... In the first game, a big drawback to the first game was, like, a lot of the boss fights in the game were just different Trolls. Yeah. Every time you went into, like... uh I'm gonna call it like a mini dungeon or whatever to like explore when you were doing like a side quest. The boss was always a troll. Like yeah. Ninety nine percent of the time it was a fucking troll, and it, it did get really repetitive. And they talked about that. And I was told you I was watching the behind the scenes things when they were like still doing all of the press and everything for the game. Yeah. And they said that they they kind of heard that comment enough, and they, and they definitely they definitely fixed it in this. Oh yeah, there, there's a. I mean, you do fight some bosses over again, but a lot of like mini bosses. But there's like a lot of different ones though. And so yes. it's not always so bad that you fight another mini boss again. Like that's not a problem. It just it can't be every ball every mini boss is a troll. Like it can't it can't be that. That that gets old. And yes. that's really what it was. It's either a troll or like actually really just a troll. Because even the travelers didn't have like boss bars. In this one they did kind of give some of them boss bars. The travelers. Um there was like two or three secret troll fights. Um, there's even a couple of mini bosses that you run into like there was one with the 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 wolvers which is like the big roverine enemy there's a boss fight of that one where you fight the alpha oh there's a boss fight of all of like all like a a number of the variation there's a boss fight with the wizard um the little witch wizard thing that flies around yes there's a boss fight there's a boss fight with him that was actually pretty cool that's because there's he's tied to two boss fights in one. Like it's, it's <laughs> actually pretty cool. Um, you haven't done that yet, I don't think. Um, is that a crater thing? If it is, uh, I'm not, probably gonna end up getting to it. I don't it's think it's not a crater thing. Okay, I don't know if I've gotten to that one yet. I don't know. It doesn't sound you could, familiar, you but could have like done I've it said, already. I'm just because I've done everything that I could do except for like. So you got all the so you got all the ravens? No, I haven't gotten all the ravens yet. Cause like I said, like uh, I got forty. I'm only missing eight. I started focusing on uh, story stuff today to try to. So they're the getting all the ravens is a boss fight. Ah, okay. Yeah, the Raven Keeper, mm-hmm. or whatever her name is. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So yeah, they allude to it that like I, I was like one once you get up to like I think the thirty eight of forty eight. They'd say something about somebody, and he's like, "Whoa, did you hear that? Somebody's like keeping them there or something." Like, and it it alludes like, "Yeah, you got a boss fight tied to that," 
which was cool because in the original one you just got all the ravens and it was just like it's a, it's a trophy. <laughs> That's it. It's a trophy. Pretty much. Yeah. So anyway, um, that no, but that's cool that they tied more boss fights to different things. Um, I also liked the different companions. Um, that was new, and Atreus. That's a big thing to talk about. There, that Atreus was a playable character, and yes, he was, was very fun to play with. Yeah, I thought a couple of it. I thought the whole Jotunheim section kind of dragged um, a bit. Cause... Yeah, that section did drag a bit. It was a lot of story focus, riding thing around and all that but when he had combat stuff his combat was actually pretty fun it wasn't as fleshed out as Kratos's was so I'm glad they kept those sections a little shorter yeah but again like you could tell they did because they didn't really build into how to build out his stats and stuff I mean Kratos was still the main character to play with but like shooting the arrows and like um Doing his combats, being able to deflect, turning into the the wolf. Now, I do wish that we got more of being able to turn into the bear. I mean, you literally only get to turn into the bear once at the end of the game. And it's just kind of button mashy. Like, after a while, it's like, okay, I'm kind of done with the bear now. And you're still the bear, like, tapping R1 and R2. So (laughs) Yeah, uh... I mean, it was still fun, though, to to get to be the bear. Uh, It was pretty cool. Finally. But, yeah, I kind of wish they gave Atreus, like, the way they did with Kratos, the different types of rage. And we'd have got maybe, like, the wolf, the bear, and maybe something else. It would have been fun, I think. Yeah, they just didn't have as much combat focus with Atreus. Like, I think he only has one boss fight with the grandmother, which was a good fight. That was actually a good boss fight, too, for him. Like, that was actually pretty fun. Yeah. But um, it was very different. It was a very different, not just run up and, like, attack. Um, you had to, like, run around, dodge, like, either the ground or the upper area when she would do things and then shoot that that pot. And, you know, like, that stuff was to keep moving and all that. And that, that was pretty cool. I thought that was a pretty decent little fight. But I it think, actually you know, kind of really it. felt like a Zelda fight kind of thing you would it see in like a Zelda boss. It kind of yeah. did. You're right. It did kind of feel a little reminiscent of that. I would agree. So, um, yeah, I, I thought the Atreus stuff was really fun. I just kind of, it, it could have been better fleshed out. I think I agree. I do like they tease the bear at the beginning of the game and literally don't let you play around as the bear to the very end of the game. And it's just for a short amount of time. Yeah, that that kind of sucked. I um also there was the big tease. Everybody really thought we were gonna get to wield Thor's hammer, and that never happened. Yeah, I kind of yeah, wish there was a moment of playing with Thor. Although mm-hmm. I can understand that maybe it, it was just too much to build something like that when they were building Atreus out. But it was cool. The 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 Atreus and Thor going together and doing shit was fun. I liked doing that with him in Muselheim. And then like him like egging on Thor. It felt like such a Loki thing. Ah, you yeah. know, they got these challenges. You you're pretty big. You, why don't you try the challenge? And then Thor's kinda like, All right, I'll do the challenge. And you hear him up there like Rawr! and he's just smashing your electricity flying and he's like, All right, I'm gonna go do this now while he's busy. Like it was all a, a trick. You know, he was being like yes. a trickster. In that way. And I was like, oh, that's such a Loki thing. The things like that were really cool to see Loki 
like that personality type that you know come out of Loki. But the one thing is that he's very much a heroic character in the game. And I think the big difference here is that because he was raised by Kratos and not by Odin. And that's why you have such a different Loki. And I hope that they keep that balance of him being like a really good person, but he still can be up to his like slick trickster ways, but he won't compromise his morality too much. I'm kind of hoping they keep that kind of balance. We're like Loki from mythology and even Loki in the Marvel universe for that matter has been villainous and used his trickster ways to do evil things. You know what I mean? And um, in this one, I do like that because they clearly drive home these parts of like father and son building relationships, growing together. Like they make a point that Loki, he keeps telling them, you need to not care, not feel for these people. Their problems don't. And he's like, all right, I'm not going to feel. And then Kratos finally realized, you know what? I'm wrong about this the whole time. You do need to open yourself to them and help these people. Like I've been wrong to you the entire time. And that was a great moment of that to see Kratos finally come to this like really big pivot as a character to where he's even, there's even points too when like, after you beat the king, uh, when you do that side quest, there's there's some stuff with him and Mimir. And he's just like, damn, Kratos, you're just a different fucking person. You know, like, it's, it's, it's really good to see the payoff in a lot of different ways of how Kratos has changed. It's just really good writing. I think it's really well done in that. So, um, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. I can already see what you're talking about because, like I said, I've done ten of the fights. Yeah, and Kratos is already trying to warn Mumir about like the cost of vengeance and saying, I don't know. I haven't gotten yeah. a complete story yet because I still got more to do. But yeah, uh, I'm waiting for that payoff. Did you hear the story about the the Thor and the lady fighting in Vanheim? The lady, the Thor. There, yeah. There's some crazy fight. When you go to Vanheim by the crater, you'll see another frozen bolt of lightning. And yeah, I, I, I unlocked the crater and I saw the frozen bolt of lightning. I haven't done anything in it, but okay. I haven't gotten to, I haven't gotten any story about it yet. All right, do you want me to get into this or not? It's a really cool story. It's a spoiler, but it's also pertinent with the podcast. But I, I won't talk about it if you just want to experience that. It's really just you talk. It's a side quest thing. You talk to characters and they piece together a story to you. Mm. Okay. Uh, no, I guess you can go ahead and talk about. It. I mean, if it's just a side quest story, I guess it's not. It's not going to be that much of a spoiler. Okay. You come across a side quest here in the Vanheim Crater stuff. The frozen lightning. How do you? Th- how did the frozen lightning happen in the beginning of the game? It was with uh, Kratos and Thor when their weapons clashed. They yes, ended up right. With the frozen lightning. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, how do you think it would happen again? Who else Which, had Kratos's axe before Kratos? Well, that's what was, it's. That's what I was gonna say. His freaking uh, Faye, his his Kratos's wife, huh? She fought Thor. And yeah. that's where that other okay. bolt of lightning is. Yes. And Kratos is like, oh shit, I didn't know my, I didn't know she did this. And he's like learning something new about his woman. So hmm. that's a pretty cool that's, little side quest. 
Okay, that's awesome. Yeah. There's a lot of great little side quests that add important lore or just like fun lore that's not important to the story overall, but it's great filler in with like background stuff with characters and all that. Which is great. Side quests with purposes. You know, that's great. Instead of just fetch quests, you know? Yes, that's the one thing I can say about the side quests in this game compared to like other action adventure games. A lot of times side quests are like, go here and kill that and give me this and bring it back here, like whatever. This one, these side quests actually really do feel purposeful in yeah. a lot of the things and they connect to like uh, the deeper like some of the deeper world building elements of of the of the game, you know, besides the main story. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I would say there's still a bit of not. It's very interesting with Niflheim; they turned it into just a training session, and then there are two parts of Niflheim that open up at the end. Like one of it, you already went through with the boy. In fact, when you play with the boy and um, Thor's daughter through that area, you you actually see the tombstone. That um, you need to have the boss fight at, but of course you can't do anything with it to your Kratos. You can't do anything. With oh, that you mean uh, you mean Helheim when they go to Hell when no, Kratos not in Helheim, went, Niflheim. Uh, they went to Niflheim. They went to Niflheim. Niflheim. They both went I might to. Be... They both went to Helheim. You're right, but then they go down to Niflheim towards the end of the game. The last piece of the mask is found in Niflheim. No, yeah, the last piece of the mask is Atreus and Thor, though. Oh, my bad. I thought it was his daughter. You're right. It's Thor. Thor's yeah, it's Atreus him. and Thor. Yeah, I just played right. through it. That's yeah. what I'm saying. It's in it's okay. in Helheim uh, when uh, Thrude and uh, yes. Atreus go it's in Helheim through that area. I, I thought, for some reason, I thought it was her again. My bad. It's a slip. You're right. It's him and Thor again. They go to Niflheim and find that last piece. So, um, because you, I ran across a tombstone there, and I was like, "Oh shit, that's the last one," and it's in fucking Niflheim, and I couldn't figure out how the hell do I get there. And as I said, the end of the game, you talk to Squirrel Buddy, and he gives you those seeds to open up gateways that weren't there before. Um, but so like, but the point being that it's even still exploring Niflheim, it's still very small. There's like two things to do there. Yeah. You know? Like yeah, just like Helheim. Your first time going through Helheim, you can do I got it 100%. Yeah, I did. Like you can do everything. I, I, me and Jesse, too. We all 100% of that are first trip through. Yeah. Nothing else to it. And yeah, I, it's very linear. Nothing's, like, yeah. really hidden that, that like, you know, um, I guess I'd say that well. Yeah. But, so, yeah, it's a, there's really no real reason to ever go back to Helheim after your first trip. But to be fair, Alfheim... Vanaheim, uh, what's the dwarf's place like? Spartoheim. 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 Those three realms are actually very big. In Midgar, Midgar is cut down from how big it was. Because in the first one, Midgar was basically it. That was most of it. Alfheim, you go there, and there's like a little, there's some beaches that have side quest stuff, and then the temple. Um, But it's fairly small. And then yeah. Muselheim is straight up just the challenges up the mountain. Niflheim is just like a big the, the circle. Maze. Yeah, it's like a maze. It's fairly just like almost a, a some type of geometric shape 
like a diamond actually. It's more like a baseball diamond that um, you go through and you just kind of repeat that process over and over again, getting armor and fun stuff or whatever. Yeah, it's just um, a big maze with traps and like enemies and yeah. shit. And um, that's really Helheim. There's a little bit more to Helheim than there is in this one, but it's not much either. Um, uh, a little bit. Like the only thing they had really had with Helheim was just that you end up there the story, and then like twice, and then like after that you don't really go there ever again. Yeah, but I'm just saying in the first one, I'm just thinking how the first one was. The realms weren't really that big. In this one, you've got three realms that are fairly decent sizes. Yes, Mid actually four. Maybe Midgar is fairly big. It's like I would say Midgar and Alfheim are like moderate. Uh, Vanaheim and Startleheim are big. They're like real. They're yeah. pretty big. And yeah, then, especially Vanaheim. Yes. From what I've seen of the crater, like all the shit you can do in there, yeah, there's a lot of shit packed into that area. There's a lot packed into that area. Yeah. So, and those two areas are like really big. The Then there's the moderate areas of Midgar and Alfheim. And then there's like everything else is fairly, is really small. Helheim is fairly, it's in between moderate and small, I guess you can say, because Muselheim is small. Um, Niflheim is small. Even when it opens up, it's still not that big. Um, still not that big. So it's um, you know, but I I would say Ragnarok though is definitely a bigger game than um, the first God of War. But it's close though. I don't think it's that much bigger. But it's it's bigger. Do you uh, agree? Yeah. Uh, it. I think it. it Hmm. I don't know. I think it's a it's a decent size bigger. It's okay. like it's pretty decently bigger. I would say if I had to put a number on, I'd say twenty five percent bigger than the first game. Yeah, I'd say that's maybe about right. Yeah, it's maybe like between twenty five and like maybe I'd say maybe like maybe a quarter and like a third bigger. I'd say at the most. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, uh, something like that. Yeah, I'd say that. Um. Yeah. So it's not like double the size or nothing like that. But it is. It is right. a bigger game. But um, and, and like I agree. It doesn't feel like feel. I do think. I think some of the side stories and things I think are better written and better integrated into the characters and the overall plot than they were in the first one. Um. And I do think the first one has a, a lot. It has a stronger story. I mean, I'm sorry. The second one has a stronger story than the first one. And yeah. I think the second one's side stories and everything are also mm. a lot better tied into everything than the first one was. But um, they're so, both, both very, very solid games. Yeah. The only thing I could say about um, that I would say is like bad filler is like some of the lore things that you, you grab like off of the... Uh, the, the um, I haven't really read those. The, Have you read them? Yeah, the scrolls and like all of the little freaking yeah. like wall plates and like writing on the wall and stuff that you read. I've read a, I've read just about all of the ones. Every time I'd get one, I would just hit the you know the touchpad and read it yeah. real quick. A lot of them are really mundane. Like when you're in Vanaheim, there's one where there's literally just this lady being like, "Oh, uh, I'm leaving for Midgar for like a little while," and it's just a note she left to somebody taking care of her house. This is my daily routine. This is what I need you to do. And I'm like, really? Like you needed to leave that mm. in in the game? And then like some of it is. Um, 
even even shorter than that. There's one that is just like um, you find what is it like? Uh, I don't remember exactly what it says, but it's just like uh, victory for Vanaheim or some shit like that. And then that's all it just says. And then Kratos and Amir kind of have a little comment about it, and then that's it. Mm. So some of them, are, some of them feel a little bit needless, like that. Some of the little lore things, but it's not. I guess that's not really a, that big of a problem because you don't need to read them. Yeah, they're just there for you to collect. It's just a little extra icing on the top, really. I, I didn't really read them. I think I read one of them because there's some of them that actually do have some more substance to it. There yeah, was, there's, there's some a, that even like. Um, um, Mamir like makes like oh like makes some comments about it, and they even have a little discussion about some of these lore stuff. Yeah, like the one know. about uh uh Sigrin in um yes, Midgard, that, that whole side yeah, quest. Yes, yeah. where you find out about her and her brother and everything. Yeah, like that one's really good, and like some of the other ones it are really actually good too. really good because it gives substance to the end of the game where Mamir runs into Sigrin again. Yes, and then when you see them have that, you're like, oh, it kind of paid off if you actually paid attention to what that was about and that's really just a side thing you could have yeah. missed it, it makes me wonder if you don't do that side quest like when you meet each other again and at the end of the game like when you walk up to Seagrin, i don't know if you walked up to Seagrin when you're walking down the mountain with freya uh if you walk up to her like kratos and mary are all like oh I, we want to give you our condolences about your brother and like we i didn't know you too you had you had went through that why you you could have told me and she's just like it's all old water under the bridge now yeah i wonder uh, if they actually would have that conversation if you did not find that interesting yeah 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 because i think that's all side shit yeah, that's interesting now i mean i found everything beforehand so like i, I can't answer that either but um that's a good point i wonder if it uh it actually gets addressed or not depending on if you find it that's interesting um yeah, I'm trying to think of anything else that I want to really... Oh, so one thing about Odin that I saw that was in some... Um, this was on Instagram a bit, too. Uh, kind of funny interview to the director. I didn't really watch that podcast through or anything, but in their talk with him, this got shared around a clip that apparently you can actually find Odin throughout different scenes in the game. And there's a scene where there's a looks like a dwarf walking across a bridge and he spits over the bridge into the water. And if you stop and zoom in on it, it's actually Odin. Really? Odin's been running around as different people. Um, yeah, because I kind of figured that. Like, I know Odin's uh, power and mimicry, and they, uh, and I'm like, I know they got to work this into the game because that was like something they do. They actually, it actually gets kind of discussed a bit more when you go into Niflheim into that prison. So suggest okay. you do that. Yeah, because like when I first met uh, Anger Boulder, I was like a little bit suspicious of her, like because the uh, the way she was talking about like she was so adamant about yeah Ragnarok has to happen like this. You can't break your fate. Like Atreus, you're gonna end up serving Odin and everything. And I was like, wait, is this actually fucking Odin kind of playing a trick on? Uh, Atreus trying to get his loyalty and shit because I knew his powers and mimicry and everything. So mm -hmm. I kind of was suspicious of her, but then later on when she started popping up a little bit more and more, and I was like, yeah, probably not. But yeah. I knew he had to be somewhere. He yeah, had to be he, somewhere he around. He seems to be different characters. I don't. They only mentioned the one. They show when he's rowing a boat in the world in the realm with the dwarves, Stardelheim, and um. There's some character that goes and spits over the bridge while you and uh, I think Atreus are rowing a boat underneath the bridge, 
and like the director points out like that's Odin right there and they will and you can see everybody kind of front of crew like what you know they you know have their big reaction or whatever so right. that was pretty cool to to kind of see that like, that's interesting that, that they actually kind of have Odin in hidden spots too and I'm wondering if they put any more I haven't watched the whole thing and the clip didn't get too far into it that was shared on Instagram but I'm curious if I guess there might be different parts in the game where Odin's there you know so yeah interesting um because that is a big twist in the game where Tyr it gets revealed that Tyr the whole time has been Odin and they make a comment that apparently they let a raven in, which allowed him access, because typically Odin can't have access into there. But somehow when they got there, they allowed this raven in when Tyr came in, and that gave him that access where he stayed in that realm and, you know, whatever. So. Okay. Uh, but uh, no, I think that's about all I got for this. Uh, do you have anything else? Uh, no, I think we talked about a lot of the things that um, I wanted to talk about. I can't think of anything. Right uh, oh, I mentioned the last thing too, the spear. I thought the spear was a great addition. Oh, yeah, yeah. A yeah. lot of people were expecting Thor's hammer. It definitely made sense for them to make a spear with that with those rings because it's like, of course, like it was a great line from Kratos when you first get the spear and he's like, oh, do you need to learn to fight with that thing? And he's like, I'm a Spartan. We've known this was the first weapon we were given, you know, whatever like that. And he's just beating the shit out of people with the spear. And it's like, oh, that's fucking dope. Like, yeah, that's right. It's like the you first should... fucking weapon you, you get as a Spartan. It's like, a yeah, spear. you should go back and play the, uh, the two PSP games in the God of War collection, because you actually get a spear and shield weapon in that, a Spartan spear and shield weapon in that game. Yeah. Um, and it is pretty fucking awesome in that game too. Cause, oh, uh, cool. Yeah, it's pretty awesome in that game, too. So when you got the spear again in this game, I'm like, oh, shit, he's got a spear again. Yeah. And it, it it is really fun, like the different combos that you can do. And then the fact that you can um, it's like stab that... the enemy and take their element yeah. and use it against them. Yeah, that's cool. Also, the fact that that spear constantly reproduces because it's made out of the, what is it, the Drapnir ring that like yeah. constantly reproduces itself. And because, like, they had it hidden down in some cavern that was, like, all you seen was a shit ton of rings. And they had to dig around for the true ring that because it keeps replicating itself. And Yeah, every couple of days it replicates itself. Yeah. And so that was kind of cool that they made a spear out of it. So you can, like, throw this spear. You can fill somebody up with, like, ten spears and then just blow them all up. And you can see them almost, like, just kind of juggle in the air. Boom, 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 Yeah, they ping, ping, they ping pong all around in the fucking air. And it's pretty awesome, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it was a uh, the The Art of War, the, the one where you chuck the spear in the the air and it starts raining fucking spears now yeah, and cool. it impales yeah. them with like a bunch of spears that one's pretty fucking awesome because not only do yeah. you get the damage from the that you know the move but then afterwards you can detonate all the spears and then you get another good chunk of damage i love yeah. that move yeah yeah that's pretty cool so i do want to make oh we didn't uh another thing we could talk about we didn't talk about was the heimdall fight Oh yeah, Heimdall fight was really cool. You know what's funny? I, I play with Realm Shift. That's how I normally, that's my fight style is dodging 
last minute dodges to put enemies in realm shift for like extra output of damage with like because I fight with my fist mostly, fist and shield, and um yeah yeah fighting Heimdall negated my realm shift. Mm-hmm. I would dodge yep. with realm shift, and he would kind of just cut through that. Like it didn't really stop him. I was like, oh shit, this is my anti realm shift. <laughs> and did he use his a realm shift against you? Yes, he does. Which is also pretty mm-hmm. interesting. It's pretty cool. Uh, he he was a very interesting fight. I was curious how that was going to go. And you need the spear because he doesn't realize how it replicates. And so he's like grabbing your spear and then you blow it up in his hands and it actually like stuns him. And then that's how you're able to start like fighting him in the beginning. So that that was a pretty cool that was a pretty cool fight. Heimdall fight was really cool. I, I liked him as a character too because he was such a little piece of shit. So he was always talking yes. kind of shit to everybody because he's a he was cocky as fuck because of his his ability of foresight. Um, and well, I he could him. read your mind. Yeah, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah, and he knew what you're gonna do beforehand, which was pretty great. Uh, which kind of still leaves me to wonder how the fuck did I don't I don't know if he could read your mind as much as like no well yeah I think he did he would just read your mind but how the fuck would he not be able to understand the spear then I guess that's why I'm confused on that I don't know yeah that's what I didn't really understand either about the they made the spear supposed to be the overwhelm his senses and shit but yeah like wouldn't like wouldn't he just know it detonates and everything and yeah because like that's really do? seemed to be the biggest thing is that it, he could just detonate and constantly reproduce the spears but yeah i don't know whatever i mean you it's hard to make anything concrete especially with these mythical characters like that so you can make arguments for days on how he could figure that out or not but regardless heimdall was a pretty cool fight uh the wolf i thought was a pretty good fight too and then that scene where you find out that when you killed the dog in the beginning of the game you kill atreus's dog or he kills he kills his dog at the beginning of the game because it was well, sick he, and it was dying. Well, no, he does. Well, he doesn't kill it. He uh, he puts it down. He stabs it. That's why it's got his soul. The knife has his soul. No, you didn't see it at the beginning of the game where he's he's saying like Did this little that right? those words. Yeah, and the, the his soul comes out of the dog's out of the dog because he seemed and, confused to the fact that there was a soul in his knife when he talks to the kid. That's why I thought he had stabbed him in the head in the beginning when he was putting him down. No, I don't remember. I don't well, remember him mind. stabbing I'm, him. He I'm, was sick. Yeah, I'm misremembering that shit. That's on me, then. Sorry. Yeah. No. Okay. Because he was sick. I thought they put the dog down because he was sick, and I thought he like because he was dying. Yeah, um, he was holding the dog, and the dog. I was remember. Sick and he was I just dying. didn't remember specifically how how the dog died. So then, when they made the comment later about his soul in the, the knife and all this kind of stuff, I misremembered it. And it just mm. goes to show how your memory can play tricks on you. So, yeah, yeah and that's all that happened for me. So, my bad. But, yeah, yeah. that is really cool because I was wondering how they were going to bring back Fenrir, right? Because yeah. Fenrir is in Ragnarok. There was no way they was not going to have Fenrir in Ragnarok. And um, for them to put his soul into Garm yeah. uh, was a really cool thing because – you fight that boss not just once, but twice, in, or is it even three times? You fight yeah, it. yeah, you do, because it keeps healing itself. Like, it won't die. So, yeah, it, uh, well, for one, you're in hell where souls yeah. go, and the dog yeah. doesn't have a soul, so it can't really die. Yeah. But so it keeps, it just keeps coming back every time you kill it, and then you, you end up running from it. The sequence where you kind of run from it was kind of cool. 
mm-hmm. little bit of the escape sequence. And then both fights were really cool too. Yeah. Um, the I guess the only other boss fight we could talk about is maybe what did you think about like the Odin fight? Did you think Odin was what Odin you kind was of expected? pretty good? It was a good fight. I thought he was pretty difficult. He gave me some problems towards the end. Um, that last part where he kept putting up the shields of like fire, ice and all that kind of stuff. And you had to bring those down and yeah, like give me got a war mode. He was, uh, he was pretty good. I, I think I got through the first part, not so bad, but that second part, he, he kind of goes crazy on some points and he's got, you got a lot of shit to watch for. Yeah, um, he does. The The first part of the fight, it felt a little bit gimmicky because like, he's got like the attack where like he kind of, um, you got to run to like the other section yeah, of like the ground that's not yeah. lit up. Mm-hmm. And then like, he's got like a couple of different attacks that like, uh, feel very kind of, I don't know. I guess I just call them video gamey. Like when he does like, big, um, like the cold air strike that kind of freezes the ground and shit. And you got to kind of dodge it at the last second. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that part felt a little bit game, but it was overall, it was pretty cool. I thought, and it, 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 it gave me a little bit of trouble but not like too much but like yeah the second part of that fight i think is the better part because you're fighting with both atreus and freya which yeah. is cool for one because yeah. you can get to control both of them at once that's pretty fucking cool yeah um and then yeah he throws some bullshit like he pulls out all the stops at uh, yeah in that part of the fight and also it's interesting too is that you fight thor and then you jump into a fight with odin like literally yes. almost back to back like this yes. game doesn't fuck around with its boss. It throws boss fights at you, like a lot. <laughs> oh yeah, we didn't even talk about the fucking boss fight with Thor. Right? Like, how could we not talk about the titular oh, fight? Oh yeah, the first fight was great, and there was two parts to that, and then there was the part where he he actually kills you and brings you back. Like I like, what the fuck happened? Why am I dead? And then he's like, oh. I'm not done with you yet. And he like shocks you back awake. And I was like, oh shit, that was cool. And that's yeah, literally at the I was, beginning of the game. Yeah, because that that I think that threw everybody for a loop. It threw me for a loop too. Cause like he just you're in like a QTE sequence and he just hits you and you fucking die. And I'm like, what the fuck? Did I make a mistake? Yeah. And you're like, he's like, nah, I didn't, I'm not done with you yet. And he fucking shocks you and brings you back. And I'm like, damn. Like if he wouldn't have did that, that like that would have just been the end of Kratos, like right there. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now the second fight was fairly similar to the first time you fight him, which is understandable. Um, it, but you know, it's kind of also reminiscent of how the first game was, where you fight Balder in the beginning and you fight him at the end. So they kind of did that too, but he wasn't the fi- Thor wasn't the final fight. And also seeing Odin kill Thor was like, damn. You know. Yeah, he does have some new move. Like during, especially after his like second, it's like multiple phases to that fucking fight. Yeah, there is. Um, mm-hmm. there is, which is like uh, same thing with the Thor fight. They like took cue from like I guess from like Dark Souls, and they gave some of these bosses like multiple phases. Um, yeah, but they do it yeah. different than Dark Souls, where you still a lot of times will just get one health bar, and then when you get the health bar down to a certain point in Souls games, they change their tactics completely. In this game, you basically deplete a health bar, and then the boss gets a new health bar and fights differently. Like in God of War, that's almost how it operates to a degree. Yeah. So, some Souls games, some Souls games do that too. Some Souls uh, like, games uh, do that. Olstein, yeah, Olstein and uh, Orstein and Smo did that. Like, yeah, because yeah, like you, you fight kill them both. One and then the other one, 
merges with the first one to have like a another health bar and it's like they're a giant version of that yeah yeah and then nameless king does the same kind of thing and um well technically you're killing the 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 dragon thing it's flying on first and then you're fighting nameless king but it's right you're technically you get two health bars to go through and then and then frida as well she's got three phases and each one has its own health bar if i'm remembering right like each one yes i want to say you're right there was dlc fight on that in dark souls 3 yep yeah so yeah so they kind of do the same thing but um yeah those fights are great the two valkyries that you fight when you're at the spark of the world and you're kind of getting uh, they they fucked me up a little bit Mm -hmm. yeah they're, they they kept this fucking going, man. Like, I beat them, like, the one time. Then they're like, oh, they didn't give me strength. And yeah, they their health bar goes back times. up, and they level yeah. up. Yeah, they come back three different times. They leveled up, like, three times. Like, one, two, three versions. So there's the first, yeah. they level up. So they level up twice, and you fight them three times. So, um, yeah, th- but that was a cool fight. Fighting two Valkyries at once was awesome. That was and a great some, surprise. They, yeah, they had some cool uh, like combo attacks that they did, but they yeah. uh, also they, too shout out to fighting Atreus. Like he turns into a bear unknowingly in the beginning, and you fight a bear is one of the first boss fights. And yeah, then, and you're there, and you're about to break the fucking bear's neck, and he just turns back into Atreus. Yeah, into Atreus. And he's like, oh, you're like, shit. oh shit. Yeah. So there was. There's a lot of boss fights between dual Valkyries, fighting Thor twice, fighting Odin, fighting your own son as a giant bear, um, fighting uh, a giant wolf in hell, Garm. Like you fight all these, but then there's then in Vanaheim, you're gonna have you still haven't done a lot of this, but there's like five different dragon boss fights. Oh, I seen them. I heard of them. Uh, yeah, because uh, I seen like the dragon armor and stuff, and I'm like, that's gotta be in Vanaheim where you get all that upgrade. Shit. Yep, and you fight yeah. straight up dragons, and it also gave me thoughts of Souls games because in Souls games you fight dragons, and you're literally fighting giant dragons flying around, shooting fire, and like swiping and attacking at you and shit. Uh, it's yeah, really the Hulk cool. fight was really freaking awesome. Speaking of dragons, yeah, yeah. you remember uh, fighting Nico and um. Vanaheim when you go there the first time and mm-hmm. it's using like its portals and everything to yes. uh, oh kinda... yes 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 yeah, I was taking a second to put that together who it was yes when he was like going through the different like yeah that was a really cool fight too yes mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah so oh man there's a lot of great boss fights in this game yeah <sighs> yeah and even just even some of the mini boss fights too like before you fight Nihog you fight the general with a spear you fight him, and he, you know, he was pretty good too. Just like as a little mini boss, right before you fight Neil. Oh yeah, that guy fucked me up. Like I'm not mm-hmm. gonna lie, that guy fucked me up a little bit. Mm-hmm. I got stuck on him for like a while, a little while. Yeah. Um, until I kind of ended up learning all his attack patterns and stuff, and kind of like learning how to deal with the Bifrost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Nah, it, it was really good stuff. Bifrost was a nice addition too of changing things up on elements, where it basically. It, it 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 depletes your health, but you constantly regrow it back unless you get hit. If you get hit after being affected with Bifrost, you'll permanently lose your health. So um, that not permanent, you don't lose your health bar, but you know what I mean. It takes away health, um, which makes one of those tombstone boss fights kind of interesting because they just exude Bifrost. So you can either get up in their face. 
and try not to get hit. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you're hitting them up close, you're like constantly losing health. Oh, you uh, keep there's a, a boss. There's fight. a boss to go hitless against that. Huh? Yeah. No, I actually, I did fist fight that boss and kill him though. So, yeah. Um, basically, did that close to hitless as well. Um, that was really good. Oh yeah, and that was one of my best fights. I fought the two bosses. Um, one of the tombstone fights where you fight two bosses at once, and I did that with red health. They had red health, so they were way high yeah. level. One hit, and I died, and I actually beat it. Didn't get hit once. It was very difficult, but it was just difficult because of me. I made it hard on myself. So. Yeah, I can't believe you actually thought to yourself, you know what? These guys are are freaking way over my level. And they kill me in one hit. So you know what? I'm just not going to get hit. I'm just going to kill them without yeah. getting hit. And it's what happened. It's, it's actually exactly what happened. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, um, but yeah, man, there, there's there's a lot of great stuff. Um I think we about exhausted and I got to go anyways. It's getting okay. So, and we're already after two hours on this. So I think we've definitely gone through, there's a lot to talk about. It is a very good game. Um, I hope everybody's enjoyed the spoiler talk. This will be a last podcast episode till January. When we pick it back up in the month of December, I'm, you know, wife was like, I want you to take that month off and just whatever. And I was like, you know, it's fine. It's holiday stuff. Not a big deal. So we will be coming back in January. Um, uh, probably by then, I for sure, we'll have beaten Callisto Protocol. That'll be... Um, I'll definitely be wanting to talk about that. So yes. um, I look forward to that. Um, and we'll probably come back with Losing Lives. I'm not sure what movie, so it'll just be a surprise. Um, but, you know, in the meantime... Uh, I still might do some Twitch streams here and there, so you can catch me at SammySavage88, twitch.tv slash SammySavage88. Um, and, um, yeah, I don't know, Kevin, I think you're still not really streaming right now, so, um, but whenever you do, you know, we'll definitely plug it up if you do. Um, but anyways, um, check out any of our pre-episodes of Who's Next Podcast, or if you're not, uh, Blurs Are Us, shout out to them. They're a great podcast, anime talk, movies, and games. Check them out. Check out Nerds, the podcast. They're also our friends over there, our little podcast podcast group that we got. We're all doing podcasts together. Check them out. And I haven't shot them out in a while. Um, <clears throat> I haven't really talked to any of these guys in a bit. I hope they're doing good. I've, I, I've, I've seen on their feed they haven't really put any new episodes out since September. So I don't know if they're on some hiatus of sorts or if they stopped. I haven't really kept up with them. But if you're into comic talk, like history of comics and stuff, the Longbox Guys is the podcast name. And they basically pick a character or pick like something in comics and they go on a deep dive like when they first appeared and different stories. And it's really good stuff. Um, I would definitely suggest them as well. Um... Yeah, other than that, those are some of the different podcasts that we kind of talked with, worked with, and guested with. Oh, um, you know what? I just guessed it, and that'll be up. So if you want more of me for whatever reason, um, <laughs> movies so bad they're good, cult classics, and camp. Ian has started back up. The podcast, we did a podcast called Movies So Bad They're Good. And then I decided to step away from that. 
I was just doing too much. And he took it over and renamed it Movies So Bad They're Good called Classics and Camp. And it was just more in line with the exact name of his Facebook group. If you like bad movies, horror movies, and all that good stuff, check Ian out. I guessed it. I did an episode called uh, Turbo Man. It's uh, Turbo Kid, excuse me, Turbo Kid. Um, it's kind of like an indie movie. Yeah, it wasn't bad. It was it was a good, it was a decent little movie. It's um, a little low budget indie type movie. Uh, it's on Tubi for free if you're interested. And uh, I guessed it doing that with um, Jerome and Renee. We actually all guessed it on that episode and together. And so check him out. And um, there's a guy, Johnny, that we also did the podcast with. And he does a podcast called Don't Give a Flick. Uh, Don't Give a Flick. And um, check out his podcast as well. I've heard a few episodes. I definitely need to catch up on his. They do like movie philosophy is how he's described it. Um, Basically, it's a podcast that picks like subjects of like different things in movies, whether it be like a director and talking about their movies and stuff and they're good or bad or whatever. Or I think they did an episode on Batman recently. And they did uh, a couple different things like that that are um, something you might want to check out. Ian's a pretty frequent guest on that as well. So if you like Ian, Ian's been a guest on my podcast. He was guest on the last episode we did of Who's Next. So check out Ian. Shout out to Ian. He's still kicking it. And so if you're looking for podcasts to listen to while we're out, those are a good couple of podcasts that I would strongly suggest checking out. Or friends of ours good people check them out uh anything you want to say um kev before we leave uh just uh since we're not gonna uh i guess well i was gonna say see you but we're not gonna be podcasting for the end of the year so i'm just gonna say merry christmas happy new year to everybody and happy hanukkah and whatever other holidays that you may observe whatever your religious uh viewpoints are i definitely open it up to those as well happy holidays yes i say merry christmas because that's what i observe but yes if you don't any other holiday you observe i hope you have a good one and we'll see you next year